Welcome everyone to Davos Fingers episode 114, Golden Hand the Just, featuring Lindsay. I'm Scatty and with me as always is my buddy Matt. Hey everybody, you know what, Lindsay is a blood rider in every sense of the word. Uh, she's been riding with us for, I don't even know how long, she'll tell us in a minute, but it's been a long time. Fun to talk about in just about every avenue, accomplished, friendly, uh, and and always keeps us on our toes with some really strong wit. So, Lindsay, welcome to the podcast. How you doing? I'm doing good. Hi, guys. Excited to be here. Hello, hello. We're excited to have you. Yeah, Lindsay, I mean, I looked, you've been with us on Patreon basically since we started. I don't remember exactly who was first, but you were pretty damn close. Um, and you've been with us even before that, I know for sure. And... Man, you're you're not like like super addicted active uh in on the Twitter, but you're yeah. around. You're lurking. Yeah. I think uh, I think I've been listening to you guys and kind of been involved in that way since it would be like twenty sixteen. So oh, wow. you guys I think had been had been doing this for a little bit, but um yeah. Yeah, we I actually I got the email uh notification that we hit our seven year anniversary during the break Uh, just just a week or two a week or two ago so yeah we've been doing this for a bit it's uh flown by right maddie (laughs) i uh, seven years ago i think i still had abs maybe so (laughs) no i I didn't i never never had at seven or 17 oh, i thought you said you had seven abs I I like, dang, Scott. they're they're under there they're they're in there <laughs> i mean i might who could prove otherwise no yeah. without surgery so uh we've been on a we've been on a brief summer break haven't we Scott? uh if two months is brief that's what we've been on yeah was it only yeah. two months it felt longer well, it was like the end of May. It's like two and a half months. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah. Did you do anything fun? It, oh, uh, fun's not like my deal. Uh, I, I did have a nice trip to California with my family. Uh, went took, took Mary and Pip and Aon to California uh, with my, my parents and my siblings. Uh, and that was good fun. It was just a a very non-contact driven vacation. Mm-hmm. We're still all of our family. I don't know. Cowards, I guess very in fear of COVID. Um, that's called we, intelligence, we just buddy. That's not cowardice. <laughs> well, uh, you know, it is what it is. Uh, we, we basically rented a, a nice house in California and it had a pool and we lounged in the pool and drank and played board games and had sandwiches and, it was a good time. It was great. You know, good. we hadn't we hadn't had a, a group family get together like that with me and my siblings for I don't know, a year and a half, 18, 19 months or so. Good. And uh it was great. It was it was good to get out. It wasn't, you know, it, I I imagined the trip to be like me sitting by the pool and and reading, you know, I am Mercury the whole time <laughs> or you know, something but I didn't read more than a few pages. Uh, you know, there's always things to do, you know, with kids. But I did sneak off to devour Jack in the Box as often as I could. Uh, they don't have Jack in the Box in Utah. So I took advantage of, like, the seven of them that were within a two-mile radius of, of our place. 
so that was nice. Uh, but yeah, that was that was kind of our vacation. Other things happened, but what what about you? Did you have any vacation, Matt? Oh, we we spent some time up in the motherland, old Idaho. You know, where uh, Padme's That's what we from. Call it the motherland. Is that what Idaho is? <laughs> yeah, yeah. In our family, it is. So uh, we were up All there right. a couple times, but yeah, it was it was a lot of. Uh, a lot of just trying to still stay safe, you know, but um, have a good summer at the same time. So, um, Lindsay, anything fun this summer? Um, mostly just work. Um, it's been, you know, mm-hmm. really busy, but um, mm-hmm. we did uh, a couple of friends of ours uh, last month um, got married in Vegas. Um, so we went, went out there for a few days and that was really interesting trying to somewhat stay social distance in vegas in vegas um, yeah but um we were there for just a couple days and they got married in one of the little chapels and did the whole thing so that was really kind of neat but nice. That's awesome. yeah that what a great experience. yeah it was that fun cool. um that was pretty much it as far as vacations go we're kind of had maybe a couple other things planned for the coming months that we're probably gonna gonna need to back out of and reschedule but you know yeah such as life we had rescheduled a trip to brazil for october and it was looking good you know for a little bit it was looking Mm -hmm. like things might be able to work out and now it's looking like probably not so total bummer but we'll see i feel like i feel like that vague i feel like that vegas wedding is awesome for you because it's like a lot of people are hesitant to have that vegas wedding but like with their friend, when their friend does it, it's like, I got to experience mm-hmm. the whole thing and it wasn't mine. Yeah. It didn't have to be your wedding. Yeah. Yeah. That's true. Yeah. Yeah. Not yeah. to insult your friend's wedding. I'm sure it was great. No, it was, it was like awesome. It. So they decided to do it there because I guess one of um, the bride, her parents had gotten married in that same chapel when they were like 18 or 19. No I think they had eloped there. So she'd always wanted to get married there. Um, but cool. it was, it was cool. Like the tiny little chapel, they just turn them out like every 30 minutes. We were like waiting in the, awesome. in the lobby with, as another wedding filed out and it was, it was fun. <laughs> That's awesome. The only other thing I had during the break that was interesting, uh, I always brag about my sister and, uh, in this case, maybe the biggest brag I'll have. Kelly Thompson won the Eisner for best new series a few weeks ago for Black Widow. No way. Uh, and our entire family is blown wow. away. And uh yeah, pretty impressive. The Eisner Tell is me about like the, the Eisner. Yeah. Wow. Tell me about the Eisner. She's been up for a few over the years. I think this is her third nomination. Yeah, no way. Uh, her first win. But um That's fantastic. Yeah, pretty great. She's really happy about it and really she was really surprised mm. she won. There were other other books that she thought were very deserving. So um it was pretty great that's pretty pretty great moment for her that's really awesome i know you guys have kind of talked about this a couple times before but and matt you may know with your kiddos but my my niece is super into graphic novels right now um so i've wanted to look into some of kelly's books so age appropriateness she's how old is she she is turning 10 next week that was totally my daughter's age when she got into kelly's stuff okay i could send you a few things recommendations okay Scott that'd be perfect too but yeah sabrina sabrina is great okay. for a 10 year old for sure um uh, i don't know Matt, what else do you think what was the one that the cartoony 
really cartoony kid one that she did. I, the name just left me. Any oh, other? Me- Mega Princess. Mega Princess. Yes, Lily loved Mega Princess. Me- um, she's loved. Mega uh, Princess is a bit younger to me, but a ten year old probably would probably like. Okay. It. Lily still Mega picks Princess. it up. Yeah. Nancy yeah. Drew. Um, Kelly's Nancy oh, yeah. Drew stuff. Lily really stuff. likes. Uh, Gem and the Holograms. Yeah. That's a little bit older. The but, gem stuff is maybe a little older, but, okay. but yeah, yeah, definitely. Mega Princess is a little bit scaled younger, but it, I mean, it works. I, I love it. I'm an adult. Okay, it's I'm it's. I'm gonna cute. have to pick it's some cute. up for her and, yeah. I'll send you a list. Okay, so, perfect. Anyway, my sister, the famous of our family. Uh, the and, famous. Uh, You're the one that did the Septon Maribald speech at Ice and Fire Con 20. 18, it's got like so. 320 views dude <laughs> <laughs> that's like 319 more views than i have on the john song so you're oh, doing well. good pal john song was pretty great yeah. though we had the audience singing <laughs> all right uh any other any other summer update announcements no let's talk about what we're doing next well we should we should do a yeah, we should do a Patreon update, which Matt, yeah. we actually need to schedule the actual recording date here. Shh. Uh, I'm, shh, I'm well through my read so far. I'm about three quarters through my read uh, of Grant Piercy's I Am Mercury, the third section there, mm-hmm. Subterraneans, it's called. It's a goodie. This will be book three, Subterraneans. Mm-hmm. And we hope, although I feel like I've just gotten more mysteries so far from what I read, <laughs> but I hope that we're going to unravel some of them that grant has planted deep within us it's been such an amazing series and so fun to cover mm-hmm. and we're going to release the next one later this month yes uh you can check out if if you haven't checked out grant's i am mercury series highly recommend it you can find it on um amazon and complete and other <laughs> retail it's other, available in other. in a uh, hardcover now right your paperback it is you can actually through buy amazon again the actual book by the it's a soft cover but yeah yeah you can you can you can buy it in a physical copy and uh that's what i have that's what i'm reading and i love it um uh, yeah I, de- I definitely recommend it we so uh pick it up it's really good it's uh it's a chance to support somebody in the ice and uh, song of ice and fire community uh that is an amazing uh person a great dude great unity. and uh honestly it's good it's good literature it's so this good it's not some chair this is not some charity case. It's like Matt and I picked it up and we're like, we should cover this. This is like really good. Yeah. <laughs> I want to talk about this. Uh, yeah. In fact, our episode covering book one is on Patreon, our, our Patreon page, but it's open to anybody, whether you're a patron it or is. not. So you can check it out yep. for free. And then totally, our coverage of book two is floating out there as well. And we hope our coverage is so good that you go buy Grant's book and follow the podcast. That was why we gave it gave it away. That's just a, mm. you know inside baseball talk. I think the Kindle right, version so, is like five bucks, U.S. dollars, and the, yeah, the uh, Kindle version for all like nine or ten books, whatever it is, is ten bucks. Is five bucks? Yeah. Yeah. So pick it up. Anyways, pick it up. So today, jumping to the podcast, we're going to be covering Jamie three. From a feast for crows, our guest Lindsay calls Jamie's arc her favorite in this book. It's hard to disagree with that. I think I do, even though I don't really like Jamie. His arc is incredible in this in this book, and this chapter is a huge part of that arc. As we see Jamie confronting the fruits of his family's labors, fruits are maybe turds of his family's labors. 
we'll likely talk in depth <laughs> about that arc in this chapter. So spoilers will be abound for Jamie's past and future as we talk. So be ready for that. I don't think anyone cares about spoilers at this point, but just be ready. Yeah, Davos After Dark is like a thing of the past. Like, What? What it's is like, that? It's like the Old Testament of Davos Fingers at this point. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's a religious reference that I don't understand, but yeah. I, I mean, will, completely understand it. Will it ever make an appearance again, you think? I mean... I think it will. Yeah. We were talking about what it might look like in wins, and... I don't know. I just missed that baseline. I want it to come back, so we got to find something for it. Yeah. Matt and I are a little bit in a fight about wins, about how many Ooh. reads we need to do and how quickly we need to like mm. release episodes to cover it. Yeah, it's a, it's a little. We we don't know. I, Wait, I feel, we are. Yeah, it's mm. what are you? What are you wanting <laughs> well, to do? I want to well, read it all first are, before we cover we, it. I want to read it twice. Whoa! Before we cover it, yeah, that's why we're fighting. <laughs> you apparently forgot. Yep, it's fine. we're fighting. Uh, no, no, I man. just, I think there's... I stepped right into the middle be, of this. <laughs> yep, yep. It's fine, Lindsay. Listen, do you want... Let's let's ask. Okay. You, we have our audience right here. Lindsay, would you rather we jump right in and cover stuff immediately or, like, we digest? And the other podcasts that are uh, better and worse than us in different ways uh, <laughs> cover it first, and then we come in later after a good digestion and cover it. What do you, what I do mean, you I think you need... You need to read it through at least once that was such a trick. otherwise it's not I you're answering that question. i know i know it's like Lindsay, I do you want to right with it. mommy or with daddy no so <laughs> i choose i'm switzerland okay no i think you need to read through it at least once on the whole because that's going to be in keeping with you know the spirit of the podcast up until this point whether you, i mean whether you read it two or three times more i don't know but you definitely at least need to read it all the way through once kind of digest a bit and then and then go from there. Thank you. I over dramatized mm. it with calling it a fight. Matt and I have discussed <laughs> lots of different options uh, when wins comes out, and it will come out, and we're very excited for that. Just to leave it there. <laughs> anyway, yeah. Matt, what should they do if they want to contact us? You know, I don't care. Do whatever you want. <laughs> <laughs> if you send want to contact raven. us, send a raven. Um, you can, here's, uh, I will put our addresses in the, uh, episode description and you can just come on over to our houses and hang out. It's a good time in, in world history to do that. No, you better just do it the old fashioned way. You can honestly, you know, I would totally accept someone into our house. Wouldn't that be so fun? <laughs> I definitely, if they'd be like, Hey man, I lose your pocket. I was like, come in. Yeah. Let's come on. At least go Let out Let me to the wash patio. your feet. Yep. I will wash your feet. Um, I'll throw some meat on the tray and we'll have a good time. Um, or you could do it the old fashioned way. Our email address is we are Davos fingers at gmail.com. We're always playing around on Twitter with Lindsay there at, at, Davo, at Davos fingers. Uh, we're on Facebook here and there, and you can always check out our Patreon at patreon.com slash Davos fingers. Yes, you can. Uh, right now we're going to dive right into the first section of the chapter that has been chosen jamie three from a feast for crows guys you ready to go that's me starting right let's do it let's do it so jamie lannister the kingslayer lord commander of the kingsguard has been given a brand new assignment ride out into the riverlands and set the kingdom to rights but before he begins his road trip he makes one final plea to his sister lover cersei 
Please don't make me do this. Drunk on spiced wine and resplendent in emeralds and mirish lace, the queen regent is as verbally abusive as ever, berating Jamie regarding everything from his beard, his age, and his wardrobe, all while turning down his request. (laughs) She also wants to dictate the leadership of the Kingsguard while he is away, fuming at Jamie's preference of Sir Loras for being paranoid of sweet-smelling roses. Instead, she suggests, of course, Sir Osmond Kettleblack, which, eef, yikes. Tyrion's last words to Jamie are on a constant loop in Jamie's brain these days. She's been fucking Lancel, and Osmond Kettleblack, and Moon Boy. She gives him a slap across the face of the road. <laughs> Meanwhile, just outside the Red Keep stables, the bros are gathering and the road trip is about to begin. The party includes a mixture of loyal Westermen and newer friends, including two especially requested by Jamie. Sir Adam Marbrand, lately Lord Commander of the City Watch, and our old friend Sir Ilan Payne, lately of the King's Justice and a filthy rat-infested hellscape near the dungeons. <laughs> As he mounts his palfrey, Jamie refuses an offer from his squire to put on his golden hand so that he can wave to the people. Let them see the stump. Let them see the cripple. Not many of the aforementioned small folk even bother showing themselves to see the party off, in stark contrast to the farewell parade given to the Tyrells as they left to conquer Storm's End. For the Kingslayer, there are no drums, no fiddles, no cheering masses. Instead, the streets are lined only with sparrows. Yeah, and out on the open road with the wind in his hair at the front of a great host of a thousand men, Jamie feels almost content for the first time in ages. There's plenty of time for introspection on the ride, given that he's chosen to ride alongside Sir Illyn, who's uh, not exactly known for his thrilling conversations. River Run is currently being held by Brendan Blackfish Tully, once one of Jamie's idols, and now a rebel he is ordered to subdue, dead or alive. The castle is under siege by a combined force of Freys, woof, reformed river lords, and a host of Westermen, all of whom will surely starve soon, as the spoils of war have left the land without much available sustenance. Woof. Woof. And this is what drives the mission. Despite having all the necessary numbers, the starve-out strategy isn't working with this discombobulated group of besiegers with differing motivations. They all want something different. Cersei thinks Jaime is just the man to end this siege and bring her the Blackfish. And that is the end of section one. I mean, it's not an awful idea. (laughs) And let's go ahead and move in. No! 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 Yeah. Mm -hmm. Sucks for him. Jaime... Jamie doesn't want to be there. I think it's interesting, though, the reasons why it sucks for Jamie. Because for an average person, this isn't the worst thing. This is just bad for Jamie because he's in the middle of Mm -hmm. change. He doesn't want any part of this, right? Yeah, I think I think for a long time now he's been, you know, struggling with his duty to his family and his sister versus his duty just to the king's guard and the king and yet again he's kind of being forced into more of the the lannister role than you know where where he truly feels like he should be and where you know by rights he should be which is protecting protecting tommen and protecting the king 
Yeah, I was gonna. I agree with Lindsay. I think it was good for him to be out on the road. I think it's good for him to be away from King's Landing, and uh, have time to work through some things. Um, this is the last thing that he wants to be doing, though. Uh, yeah, you know, it's it's pretty on the nose. His uh, horses, right? Yeah, I was <laughs> gonna good, ask you about this that. Is, <laughs> this is a good time to talk about the horses. So. Honor is that how do you say it? is that palfrey? 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 I'm not good at yeah. palfrey? palfrey? Palfrey, sure. Palfrey is a horse used for kind of more just ordinary riding, right? It's lighter weight, good for long distances. It's not necessarily a horse you'd ride into battle. I learned this just before recording this episode, by the way. It's <laughs> not like I'm a horse expert. Yep. <laughs> good job. Good research. Um, and that's the one he calls Honor. Uh, that's the one he rides out of the city where there's no fanfare. But that's okay because he's writing honor. He's doing it for honor. Um, I was looking back through Jamie's previous chapters in in A Feast for Crows. Like Lindsay said, it's an, a fantastic arc. And Scad, you like it too. And I was reading that discussion he has with Loras about the Kingsguard. Do you remember that one where he's like quizzing Loras on all the different Kingsguard mm-hmm. members? Yeah, I think it was the chapter right before this one. Yeah. Or, or two before. Is it? Yeah. Um, yeah, it seems like it would be. Um, and they're talking about the famous ones are remembered, but so are the infamous. But there were many, Jamie makes the point, who may not be remembered at all, but who served well with honor, mm-hmm. albeit quietly. And so it's interesting that uh, Jamie is on honor right now as he's riding out of the city, uh, given his arc. Whereas Glory, his other horse, is the Destroyer. I don't know if I'm saying that right, um, which is a war horse. And that's the one clad in Lannister crimson. So yeah, I, I've always said Destrier, but I don't. I also don't know that that's right. I've never looked. At yeah, that. I've Destrier said I was right. I've said Destrier too, but I, I Let's don't go know. With that two out of three. Yeah, I just always assume I'm right about things. So yeah, I think I think it's interesting that there. I don't know whether George intended it or not, but it, it's it's a bit of a subtle nod to the oath that he swore. Yeah. Uh, on honor, he's riding the horse garbed in white. Mm-hmm the Kingsguard horse where he's keeping his bow. If he has to go to war, he's riding the Destrier in crimson. And he will be breaking his promise for swearing his vow not to take up arms. And that would be for the glory of his house, not for the honor of the Kingsguard. He's made it by, by choosing which horse to ride, pick a horse, man, which horse are you going to ride? Right. It's the old thing. Uh, He's choosing honor or glory, honor. literally and also figuratively. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yep. I, it's it's a it's a subtle thing George has done there, I think, uh, but but I love it. Yep, pretty dang on the nose at the same time, though. I like it. So uh, who you ended mean it's up? Obvious. You mean it's yeah. obvious, and the points honor, that we just glory. made were, you know, were of kindergarten. <laughs> it. It's Nerf ball. <laughs> Nerf ball points. No, Nerf ball. <laughs> I'll take whatever points I can get, to be honest, at this point. I've been off for two months. I'm joking. I like the way you said that and the way that you equated it to the vows that he's made to Catelyn. And interesting yeah. that he's riding to River Run on honor. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Not very interesting covering himself in glory. Uh, quick aside, I couldn't find the answer to this. So who does end up in charge of the Kingsguard after he leaves? It was never really decided. Uh, I didn't look. 
I assumed it was Loras. She does not have right. the authority to do that, and so I assume he won. But I, yeah. I, you're right. I didn't look. I yeah. just assumed. But then what about when, when Loras leaves? Then we're you so know, left in yeah, a bigger end. pickle. I don't know. Yeah. I mean, look, this is maybe just going back to the bigger argument we've always had about the King's Guard on this podcast. Oh, here we go. <laughs> oh, I'm going there, Matt, at least twice this episode. Uh protect the king or go where he sends you uh you know what we think of you know our secret service which protects our president versus like the ss of the nazi regime and you know frankly we're closer to the ss than maybe a lot of people would like to think Mm -hmm. um but i I don't think the king's guard belongs out there doing this stuff and i don't think Mm -hmm. jamie thinks so either i think he believes they should be protecting the king and not out there doing soldierly things right Please also note that I've always loved Jamie. Because he agrees with me. <laughs> yeah, yeah. As, as long as he's agreeing with you, this is all good. Yeah. Do you think part of it is is um, is those paternal instincts for Tommen in general? No. No. Or is it not, I don't think is that he not feels, a big deal for him? I don't think he feels any paternal instincts towards Tommen or any of them mm. really. I mean, he... I don't, mm-hmm. I don't think it's this chapter. I think it's maybe later, but... You know, he he refers to them as the three treasons. Um, you know, <laughs> Cersei's Cersei's kept them so separate from him. You know, out of necessity, really. But out of necessity, yeah. I don't think he feels any paternal instinct. I think it's you know, like like maybe Scad said, he feels like that is what you know what the King's Guard have have vowed to do, and doing. it's it's interesting to see. To maybe to see this comparison to, you know, calling it way back, but like in Fire and Blood, when you see the King's Guard of Jaehaerys, you know, follow him and Alisanne, you know, wherever he goes, even when he's too young to technically be the king. Whereas here, you know, you see folks kind of taking orders from, from the Queen Regent rather than actually staying, staying committed to Tommen. Yeah, good point. Uh, the thought just came to me that he's wanting to stay now and it reminded me of the sack of king's landing when he is was the king's guard member that remained and that was how he ended up becoming the kingslayer right mm-hmm. i don't know if that means anything really but now here he's wanting to stay but hmm. i feel I just like of that i feel like jamie has guilt i don't it's i think mostly unnecessary guilty guilt but i think he has guilt for all the things he doesn't do that he has absolutely no control over. Hmm. Right? Like, uh, we'll, we'll get there later, but like, the, we talk about the riots at King's Landing. It's like, he's feeling guilty about not protecting Tyrek or not seeing Varys's plot or mm-hmm. all these things. And like, he wasn't even there. Like, there's no way he could have done anything. He feels guilty about it. You can see it in his POV. We'll get there later. But sure. I feel like he's kind of in a bit of a no-win situation, the way he evaluates his performance. You know, either go out and win the war or stay and protect the king. Well, you can't be in both places. So, right. You know, you're Which not going to Which is a pickle he's yeah. been stuck in, right? He, yeah. I mean, he removed Ares from the throne, an awful king who very few people liked. Um, he, I mean, he would hear this guy essentially, not even essentially, raping his wife uh, behind closed doors and could do nothing about it. He kills the guy, does the realm a favor. And becomes reviled by most of the kingdom for doing so. 
It's like I was glad I was glad you went with killed the guy because removed from the throne was about the nicest way you could put for like murdering <laughs> yeah. him in the back that I could yeah. think of. But yeah. you're right. He he did. He he did he did kill him and I I think I think you know a lot of everyone in the kingdom judge judges Jamie for this, but it was literally a decision he had to make mm-hmm. to save more people. So it's not these are not the things that I, as a reader, judge Jamie for. Yeah. Killing Eris, Eris, fine. Yeah. What you got to do? It's not what I judge Jamie for. Personally. Pushing a kid out a window. Yeah, that's that's, that's where it gets a little dicey. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and lots of other things. It's it's not it's not Eris that that bothers me. Mm-hmm. That's what bothers the kingdom, but not me. Yeah. Yep. Um, what else? I think it's interesting. One of the things I've noted throughout this chapter but it kind of starts here um is you know he sets out on the road and one of the first things he does is send uh, i think it's adam marbrand out to scout ahead um and he's constantly thinking about you know the whispering wood about Oxcross, and kind of about those mistakes that both he made and his family made that kind of kind of led them led them to this point um so mm-hmm. i think it's it's interesting to see how he has kind of learned from those and is, you know, determined not to repeat those same mistakes. That's something that I think, you know, a Game of Thrones or a Clash of Kings Jamie probably wouldn't have done because um, he was still, I think, pretty arrogant about his own his own skill and invincibility at that point. But he's he's learned a little bit. Yeah, I think I think yeah. George is very deliberately using that as a sign of growth for Jamie. That he's taking these precautions and careful with his troops and careful with his strategy. I think it's very deliberate from George. Yeah, it's a great point. Yeah, that is a good point. Even you know, showing the showing his stump of a hand, I think, relates to that in a way of just being authentic and genuine and not arrogant. And yeah, hmm. good point. Um. Maybe some of these are stretches here, but I saw some parallels being made literarily between Jamie and Robert Baratheon. Hmm. Uh, sure. That's interesting. I don't know if this is I don't know if this was meant to drive a wedge between Cersei and Jamie in our minds, like to separate if George is like trying to like make it make this split more obvious, although I don't know that it can get more obvious. Uh, you know, Cersei starts out by saying all that hair makes you look more like Robert. Um she she does she also complains about all the color draining out of you brother you've become a ghost of what you were a pale crippled thing so bloodless always in white you know robert baratheon before cersei was so magnetic so charismatic uh and and now we see jamie kind of decreasing in her eyes as well in a way um to her his whiteness, which we see as purity and redemption, kind of his purity and redemption arc, although he's not pure yet, but that's what we're kind of led to follow this arc of him on. Um, but to her, that's a weakness. Uh, for both Robert Baratheon and Jamie, Cersei had become kind of the other woman in a way. Mm. Robert Baratheon for with Lyanna and Brienne with Jamie. Although, you know, the feelings, romantic feelings may not be there, but Cersei's kind of becoming the other woman. Um, He lusts for Cersei, but he definitely does not love her. You know, the quotes about he wanted to kiss her, carry her to her bedchamber, throw her on the bed, rip her gown off, turn her blows to kisses. But at the very time, the very sight of her made him angry. Um, 
I don't know. He's just got a shorter temper. He's drinking a little more than he did. Uh, yeah, the beard. He's, you know, little things like yeah. that. I, I just found these little comparisons that his personality, especially when he's around Cersei, is coming becoming a little Triple B-esque. Yeah, it's, it's, it's really interesting the way you put that, Matt, because growth which is what let's let's be very clear about it that's what jamie is going through right now he's trying to grow he's trying to be a better person he's trying to you know make up for some of the mistakes that he's had in the past mm. but that's not that's not like a a clear trajectory up that's like two steps forward a step back three right. steps forward three steps back a step up the these these kind of this kind of change takes time and you know, this kind of loathing attraction that he has to Cersei, it's disturbing to us a little bit. We also have to remember that for him, it's the norm. You know, this is the way they treat each other. This is the way they act to each other. Uh, you know, falling in love with former lovers or falling back into that pattern of comfort and familiarity and, and, and lust too, that's normal. That's human. Like, that happens all the time and that's what he's going through it you know the fact that he goes through these sessions where he's kind of thinking about controlling her and you know grabbing her and just kind of forcing himself on her and turning her uh blows to kisses i think is the way he phrases it the way you said it matt mm -hmm. that's a way that he can seize control in this situation where he doesn't feel he has control of the change within himself. He's trying to change, but all these things are pulling him back. It's uh, Scarf. It's uh, not Scarface. Uh, the Godfather, right? Every time I think I'm out, you pull me pull back, back in, in, right? Yeah. It's it's he's he's trying to escape, but these things keep pulling him back. It's tough, and you can't just get over them on a dime. He's doing his best, but. These things are there. These relationships are there. These connections are there. These feelings are there. Yep. I think it's interesting that you noted, you know, Jamie kind of starting to resemble Robert Baratheon in some ways when reading the very beginning of this chapter, it struck to me how much more Cersei is starting to become similar to Robert and all of the kind mm. of the worst aspects of Robert, the things that she hated about him, how he was you know, always drunk and lashing out and, you know, sexually, you know, being unfaithful in their relationship and kind of flaunting it in, yeah. her, in, a, in her face. And she's started to, you know, almost do the same thing to Jamie. And so it's interesting that you kind of noticed him becoming that way when, to me, that's, that's the first thing that really struck out to me about, about her. That is so true. That's a great point. I love that. Yeah, you're absolutely right. Yeah, Jamie was always faithful to Cersei, remember? Yeah. As far yeah. as we know, anyways. Um Yeah, his you mentioned Scad, he's trying to grow, he's trying to be better. What's interesting though is I I don't pick up a lot of like conscious effort in trying to be good. Like you don't see like in his POVs, you don't see him thinking, I've gotta be good, I've gotta be better. It just kind of naturally like his thought processes have changed. It's like he's risen yeah. up, started to rise above that muck a little bit. 
just kind of naturally. And, you know, we, of course, we can trace it back to his time with Brienne. But um, it seems like it's a very unconscious growth, at least to me, that he's kind of growing through. Yeah, I don't, I don't know whether I'm not giving Jamie enough credit or something else, but I feel like he's just kind of one of those people where if he admits how terrible he was before, <laughs> he's not going to be able to focus on the growth. Mm-hmm. Sure. And, you know what I mean? And we'll so get... he's trying to leave that behind to just make the good decision now for getting the past. That's a good point. That makes sense. Yeah, yeah it does. Mm. Uh, the, the The relationship, though, with... Cersei and Jamie is fascinating because fascinating. they're they're playing they're they're <laughs> they're throwing barbs at each other almost without knowing it. Uh, Cersei says to him, "Your notions of manhood have changed somewhat, brother," which is he doesn't know that Jamie knows about her fucking Osmond Kettleblack, mm-hmm. but to him, this is a total slap to his face in pride. You're mentioning manhood in reference to Osmond Kettleblack right in front of me, whose manhood used to be, you know, your, I don't know, salvation's probably strong, but that's the <laughs> word that was in my mind. You know, like, it was it was the thing that, that connected them, right? And she's throwing that yeah. in his face now. And she doesn't know that she's throwing it in his face. She just thinks that she's comparing them as knights. But because he knows what he knows, she's throwing it in his face, Right. Yep. Yeah, absolutely. Do you think Jamie ever uh, loved Cersei and vice versa? Yes. No. I don't know. <laughs> not vice versa. I think I think she always saw him as just the male version of herself and that's what she loved yeah. about him. I don't think she I don't think she loved anything about him as a person. I think she saw that's that's who she wanted to be. She wanted to just... be able to take power the way that men can in this world and i think that's what she idolized i don't think she ever truly cared for him just like i don't think she truly cares about her children but that's another that's a whole other rabbit hole um but i I think that he did he did love her or at least the the idea of her and what what he maybe wished that she would be yeah you know we spent matt i went back and listened to our our first coverage of this of this chapter me too Um, did you uh we spent a lot of time just talking about what the meaning of love is and and how you define it and uh you know different types of relationships that don't necessarily revolve around love with your own personal story with your friend um and you know i'm not sure i'm not sure either of them really knows what love is (laughs) cersei for sure Cersei for sure is just looking for reflections of herself. Yeah, it's narcissism, I, right? Yeah, exactly. Jamie, I think, is looking for some sort of meaning in his life. He's looking to serve. He took the Kingsguard role honestly and for good reasons. He wanted to serve. He's looking to serve something or someone. And I think he finds Cersei's commanding presence and desires and direction somewhat... Uh, intriguing it's 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 a direction for him and it's it's a path he could have taken and i think that's part of what attracted him to her Mm. a direction a direction yeah yeah i can see that a purpose almost because he yeah just feels like he needs it i mean purpose is a better word yeah yeah. i mean i agree i don't think 
either of them really can know like you said what what love really is they've never they've never seen it not growing up in the lannister yeah household. i mean yeah. tywin i don't know that you, you you can't say that he really loved his kids to him his children were tools to further on his legacy i mean whether or not he loved their mother who knows but they were she died really too young for them to even see that and see what maybe that relationship would have looked like so i mean they never they've never really seen it and so i don't know that they can really know what what a healthy relationship is supposed to be or what you know love is really supposed to be yeah all all i know is that when cersei said your notions of manhood have changed somewhat brother jamie should have replied so of yours with a pelvic thrust and just walked out of the room and just walked out <laughs> it's like the the jerk store moment for for george costanza on seinfeld you know what i mean it's like the the jerk store joke oh, so, listen some of our listeners are getting this right now in our lives. missed you so much missed you so much yeah i know you did buddy yeah um anything else on this well, I just wanted to talk very quickly about Jamie noting the differences between the Tyrells making their leave to go suppress Storm's End uh, versus them leaving here mm-hmm. in this chapter. And the fact that there was a throng of people celebrating and, and running down the lane and, you know, all these positive things. And now nobody cares that they're leaving. And it's a it's a fascinating phenomenon, I think, of of humanity that we always kind of maybe it's grass is greener is the best way to put it like what's the next best thing what's uh what who are these guys these these tyrells they seem strong i I sound like christopher walken all of a sudden uh these tyrells they seem strong like maybe they're the next big thing could they replace the lannisters maybe they're better maybe let's get excited about them whereas like the lannisters leave and it's just kind of uh you know ho-hum right Mm. it's it's in in the nfl it's uh everyone's in love with the backup QB, right? Because he never gets to play, and you're like, I bet he's great. I bet he could be better than our current QB. But, like, in the end, he gets out there, and he's fucking terrible, right? <laughs> the uh, Apollo 13 launch, right? Where no one was even excited for it at that point. Yeah. They wouldn't even televise it. So, silly, silly theory. You know, whenever they bring up a minor character and they give any sort of background on that minor character, I start thinking, what is George going to do with this guy in the end? It's probably a pointless exercise. But Sir Kenos like... of Case? No, but great name, oh, right? Yeah. yeah, that's a good great name. Great name. Yeah. Renifer Longwaters. Mm. Oh, yeah. Yep. The, the chief jailer who says he has a bit of dragon blood in him. Future dragon rider. Yep. Yeah, Confirmed. that's exactly my favorite. Totally. Definitely. Yep. He's the third. You heard it here first. Yep. Yeah, 100%. Third well, you, have of the to, dragon. you have to wonder if people in certain positions can come into play in the future, either for Danny or Aegon. We, you know, we can theorize about them coming to King's Landing. And, you know, Renifer's old, probably not too smart. It's not like he's going to be like Aegon's hand of the king or anything like that. But he is in a position where he could potentially influence things. As the chief under jailer, say Aegon is imprisoned by Danny or something, and Aegon ends up sweet talking Renifer Longwaters to 
bust him out or something. I can see something like that happening. You know, I see. I see this where you're going. This Targaryen type of these little hints of Targaryenism coming out could could be something fun later mm-hmm. on. I don't not know. Not that but... not that he's going to influence up, but that sure. someone in his sphere is going to end up there with dragon blood, and he's going to be like, "Me too. You're free." <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, 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 yeah. That's yeah. a connection yeah, that can it. be yeah, made, yeah. and Renifer sounds like the type of guy that could be influenced to do just about anything. Yeah. So, especially if I someone's willing that. to give him a little, a little attention and a little bit of props about his dragon blood. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. We're, Man, we're I, brothers. I feel like, we're brothers in this, buddy. I feel like if somebody's brought him like a six-piece chicken nugget, he'd be he'd be all down. in yep. for their for their for their situation. Yeah. <laughs> uh i have several more things in this chapter somewhat embarrassingly uh i think maybe the most important thing is well we end with about a page and a half of background on illin pain uh-huh does it mean anything or is it just kind of background fodder and lovely writing from george which it is uh, does it mean anything? It really is, like you said, really lovely just writing and the descriptions that he, you know, includes of Illin and how well suited he is to his job is just kind of chilling when you think about it. Um, but I don't, I don't know that it really means anything. I don't know. Yeah. I don't know that it'll come back to be significant or, you know, I think it's just him kind of flexing his muscles and, you know, filling out a character that really is in in the story quite a bit, as far as you know, background characters go. Um, you know, he's he's there really from pretty early in the beginning, but we don't we don't know that much about him. Yeah, he. Um, that's true. You, you, he, he's just kind of like this. He's almost like a horror character, mm-hmm. right? Uh, with us mostly seeing him through Sansa, and obviously he's the one that beheads Eddard Stark, Nard Stark. As we know, no. Um, it was the worst threat I've read in a while, man. It wasn't one of my best. <laughs> <laughs> I loved it. I'm kidding. I totally loved it. Sometimes things happen. <laughs> Sometimes things happen, and I don't even drink. Ellen, um, uh, this goes a long way to humanizing him a little bit and giving yes. him background, and you you almost start to pity him when you learn about the filth he was living in. You feel bad for the guy. Uh, and what I came away with is these Jamie and him were both two guys that needed to get out of King's Landing. Illin was kind of, we talked about Jamie already, but Illin was just kind of stuck in a rut and he needed to get out and just get some fresh air really is what he needed. He needed like literally and he didn't even know it. Yeah, Yeah. exactly. Um, so yeah, and then it, and then it gets horrific again when it always like gives me the heebie jeebies when I read the part about how he like cackles or something like yeah the clacking of his tongue yeah (laughs) (laughs) that gives me the shivers man whenever i read that but uh, i i guess i'll just say i I think george used illin's plight as a mechanism to humanize jamie right to make him a hero right Mm. to give him a notch in his belt if you will uh for for illin yeah he did this for illin he he helped someone and it's a tiny rung in the ladder that Jamie can keep climbing. Mm-hmm. 
And so I think it was a maybe a, a small thing to include a couple of paragraphs about his plight and where he was to help build the legend of Jamie, mm. if you will. I did kind of wonder reading through, you know, all the description of his background and how he is now, you know, why why he chose to go. You know, why he decided to go with Jamie instead of staying where he is. And he, you know, Jamie notices kind of going to his chambers and just seeing, you know, the guy doesn't give a shit about anything except sharpening his sword and, you know, doing his job. So it's kind of, it, you know, made me wonder why, why did he decide to, to leave that and, you know, go out on, on the road? Because it smelled like poop in there. Yeah, probably. Dead rats and overflowing chamber pots. (laughs) No, I, I think it's, I think it's, uh. It, it's kind of undersold in the paragraph where he chooses to leave. It's, it says something like, Jamie was about to turn and leave, and then he, he got nodded. a slight nod. Yeah. It, it's like in that moment, Ilan was like, oh, shit, yeah, my life sucks. Okay, let's do this. Yeah, yeah it's almost like that was the trigger to help wake him up a little bit, to make him yeah. look around and go, "Yeah, yes, yeah. I'm going to go. Mm-hmm. I'm going to do wake, it. A wake-up call. Yeah, this, yep. is, this is your opportunity. This is the first time this has ever happened in the history of anything, but I'm going to compare <laughs> Illin Payne to uh, um, Bilbo Baggins when he decided to go. And it was kind of almost on a whim. Like he just realized he wanted to go on this fantastic journey and just went running out of the house and went. Okay, but please don't ever compare Illin Payne to Bilbo Baggins again. <laughs> yeah, that just... just, like, just you heard don't. it here first. I, I get it. I get it. I'm raising don't. my glass. My camera's <laughs> off, but I'm raising my glass to myself. It took a real, real leap. Okay. That's funny. Oh my gosh. I'm so sad now. Sip of my beverage. Uh, are you, do you, are you okay. regretting even bringing him up? <laughs> yeah, a little bit. A, a little. But it, the, we spent the last, you know, two pages of this chapter on him, so I figured I sh- we should. Yeah. Um, okay. Let's, uh, should we move on? Just want to say one thing. Sure. Adam Marbrand sounds kind of like a cool guy. I thought you'd like Adam Marbrand. I Seems did. Like he's got I feel like maybe together. we've talked about this before. You know who he reminds be... me of? Bilbo no. Baggins. Oh my god. No, just... uh, <laughs> oh, so Ilan Payne. Yeah. So we're just Ill taking Payne. two Ilan Paynes on the road then. <laughs> now we see Jamie's type. He reminds me of like a Jory Cassell. Mm. Yeah. He's just like Eddard Stark's guy, reliable, yeah, yeah. always there. Seems like a guy who's not really conniving or anything, just duty bound. Does it well. Seems like he's, he's an, an Adam Foot, if you will. An Adam <laughs> Foot. Adam Marbrand. Adam Foot. Yes. Yeah. Sorry, Lindsay, you're gonna say something. Oh no, it's been a long I feel like it's been a long time since there's been a good Adam Foot reference, but um, It really has. And well deserved rest. Thank you, Scad. I, I mean I'm Thank you, Scad. not a ho- hockey fan by any means, but I think if like you know, I were forced to name a hockey player, that would probably be first one to 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 mind. <laughs> Just because I've heard, because of Lindsay, I've heard Matt talk talk about him so Lindsay. much. <laughs> did I, did I ever tell you? That's good for my heart. Did I, did I ever tell you when I met him in the airport and what he said when I told him I wore his number? You could so, speak like you didn't just immediately pass out. It was hard. So okay, Slight that's favorite. what she said. That's what she said. Yeah. Okay, we're gonna have to do this whole thing. So I'm at the airport. I'm going up to Canada, Scad, for work, and I see uh this guy probably 30 people in front of me in the 
back and forth security line, you know, and he's got this huge nose. He's well built. And I just knew that's Adam freaking foot. That is Adam foot in that security line. But we're in the security line. So I can't like go up and talk to him or anything. So I had a lot of time. I was no, this gets even worse, guys. This gets even worse. So we get through the we get through the whole line. I look at my watch. I'm like, I still got like an hour and a half before my air, before my plane goes anywhere. Where is Adam Foot most likely going to go? Oh my god! He lives in Denver. Did you stalk him? He lives in Denver. Oh, you look. So I go and I look at the departures, and I find the Denver, uh, the all the flights that are going to Denver. Oh no! And I proceed to walk to each and every gate that's going to Denver, and I'm like my third or fourth one. I found there him, he is. Guys. I found him <laughs> waiting at the gate to go to Denver. And then he walked away. I was like, when am I going to be able to do this again? It's Adam Foot. So what so did you do, man? I, I like got the up the courage. You know, I, I spit on my hands like Shipmouth did and rubbed it on my cheeks, you know. Spoilers. And uh, I went up and I talked to him. He was there with his wife and he was incredibly kind, incredibly gracious. He seemed surprised that I recognized him. Yeah. I don't think it happens very often. Because you're him, his only fan. <laughs> I told him that I wore number 52 and I'd been wearing his number since high school. And his wife started laughing. <laughs> she, was, <laughs> she was like, Don't what? you know Gretzky exists? <laughs> well, We're she in was, a world she started, of She the started news. naming off all the other Avalanche players. She's like... Didn't Even wear Claude. number 19 for Joe Sackett or 21 for Peter Forsberg. She started naming off all these other players and Adam looks at her like, what are you doing? Come on. Give, just give me this. Yeah. Let me have this one. I gotta but say, it was really Fors- sweet. Forsberg was, nice. was a shit. I know you love yeah. foot, but Forsberg was boring. I liked him too, man. He was a, I know. You he was like a bull him. in a china shop. But, um, yeah, that's my that was my experience meeting Adam Foot. I don't feel like we've had that story in this podcast. Oh. I'm happy to have heard it. Well, there it is. We'll put funny. it in the. Uh, we'll put it in the extras. I mean, I've <laughs> never met Preki, my soccer idol, so I feel I feel pretty pretty great that that happened for you. Do you know where he lives? Because if you see him in an airport, you could <laughs> stalk him. If you well, he gets to. he gets fired every like two years from his job, so I don't know. Where he is okay, no. well, be tough then. <laughs> okay, all right. I'm glad I got that story. That's funny. I'm. <laughs> Glad too. <laughs> I don't know where the fuck we were before that. I think we're moving on to yep. get, get to know, know Lindsay, Lindsay a little bit. Yeah, mm. personal yeah, stuff. About this. Yep. Let's Favorite do friends. it. Let's get to know Lindsay. Yeah. Right. Lindsay, who are you? What do you do? What drives you? What's uh, what are you about? Well, I'm sure you know. I'm sure most. I don't know. I don't know if most people know this about me, but I'm. Um, I'm a ICU doctor. Um, that's really been kind of absorbing my life these past couple of years when I was trying to figure out how to answer this question. It's like, mm-hmm. gosh, I don't even know what I what I am outside of that anymore, which is kind of sad and depressing. But um, <laughs> I'm, you know, I yeah. work yeah. work in the ICU. I'm married a little little over four years now to my best friend, love of my life, and travel travel buddy we haven't gotten to do nearly as much traveling as we'd like in these past couple years but you know that's that's what what i like and you know what we like to do and reading and you know just living life 
Does, Shout out to Trace. What a great guy. Yeah. Great does dude. Trace read the series or is he is he into other reading? He does. So he, um, you know, we will jump into this later too, but he's actually the one that kind of got me got me into the series. Yeah. Oh, cool. Yeah. That's I guess awesome. we didn't uh, ask permission to use his name on the podcast. Oh, is that no. okay that we just said yeah, that? Yeah, he okay. won't care. <laughs> she used it first. I did, yeah. <laughs> oh, no. She no, did. Matt did. Oh, no, I did first, I, don't know. I think. He, he won't care at all. <laughs> okay, fine. good. Shout out, yeah. buddy. Um, do you do you like anything else besides the Song of Ice and Fire, fandom wise? You know, there's there's not really anything else like literature or media wise that I feel like I really engage with, you know, mm-hmm. with other people like I do with a Song of Ice and Fire. Aside from you know maybe like gymnastics, um, you know, I'm a big big fan of both elite and college gymnastics, and so I'm pretty involved in you know the I guess. Jim Turnet fandom of sorts, but you know, Jim Turnet. That's the that's the official name. Yep, um, I love it. But so, did you do gymnast gymnastics as a kid, like, or just really into it recreationally for like two years as a kid? But I was horribly uncoordinated, and it was never going to work. So um, relatable content. Yeah, I know. Yeah, I understand yeah. completely. Um, it was it was never going to pan out for me, but um, yeah. It's just always been a sport that I've disconnected to and loved watching and learning about and yeah. This is a sidebar, but like, did you know as a young kid that like you were uncoordinated, like too uncoordinated? Oh no. Or did you? No. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. You had the dreams. No, I totally, totally had the dreams. I've got a kid that thinks he can sing. He's like, I'm great. I'm a great singer. I'm like, (laughs) do I spoil that for him? Or like, what do I? I think you're learning (laughs) you're you're getting there um no i had no idea i thought i was great and it was really just a mixture i think of you know for a while um you know both my parents um around the time that we were they put us in recreational sports and stuff they were going back to college and um the place that we were going was you know a ways away from where we lived you know 30 45 minutes and my sister and I both were into it for a time and then my sister kind of didn't want to do it anymore and they were kind of having to pick and choose. You know, they couldn't really afford to send two kids to two different things and drive us back and forth and I was yeah. like, okay, this, honey, this isn't your thing. <laughs> we're going to need to, <laughs> we're going to need to find <laughs> something <spoiled> else. <laughs> yeah. This isn't going to work for you. Let's do something yeah, let's, more, more let's time. Let's do sensitive. something else. Yeah. So, yeah, but yeah. That's healthy. <laughs> I think. I think so. I, as have, a you parent, con- have you considered as a- bingo? <laughs> <laughs> have you considered medicine? Yeah. Because I think you'd be really good at that. Yeah. And now have you considered you, yeah. books? No. <laughs> yeah. Well, from the one library. Of the things, one of the things that, that we've seen you be engaged about is gymnastics, and you just brought it up. Yeah. Uh, I, I don't know how far you want to go into it, uh, but being a doc... And a gymnast and a gymnast enthusiast on the gym internet. <laughs> Do you have anything to say about Simone Biles' story or the, the Olympic gymnastics performance in general? I have so many things I could say about the Simone Biles story, but I'll try to kind of keep it keep it limited and relevant. But, you know, overall I think it was really interesting to see kind of the you know, different reactions to, you know, the decision that she made. Um and yeah. You know, mm-hmm. if basically any of the Kalasar were boycotting the Olympics or have been living under a rock for the last, I don't know, 
three weeks, um, you know, she basically, you know, pulled out of most of the Olympic competition because of issues she was having with her training and, you know, something that they, you know, in the gymnastics world, they call the twisties where, you know, for whatever reason, you aren't able to really safely do twisting skills anymore. You kind of get lost in the air and, um, yeah, it can, yeah, it can be super dangerous as you can imagine when you're doing the kind of stuff she does. So, um, you know, I think overall I was just obviously, you know, sad and upset because I wanted to see her, you know, go on and do great things, but just, mm-hmm. I was really, you know, proud of her for, you know, being able to stand up and make that decision for herself. Um, and, you know, really grateful that we're kind of in a space now within that sport in our country where she felt like she could make that decision for herself, you know, in, again, this would be getting way too into the weeds of things, but in previous years under, you know, previous leadership within the sport, you know, she, I don't think would have felt safe to make that decision and she could have, you know, sure. wound up pushing herself and really Put hurting herself. herself. So, yeah. um, you know, I think, you know, I'm glad that the majority of the media coverage and reactions and things like that I saw were really positive um, mm-hmm. and really kind of brought to light, not just, you know, it being a mental health issue, which it is, but also, you know, a, a safety issue. And, um, you know, I'm glad that she, she did the right thing. I mean, at the end of the day, medals, you know, aren't worth it. Um, if you're gonna, you know, potentially hurt yourself. So. Well said. Well yeah. Said. yeah. I agree. I was, I was kind of honestly surprised she came back for the, for the beam. Yeah. It, for more, it, seemed, yeah. it seemed like, um, I don't, I don't mean to denigrate her in any way. She's, mm-hmm. she's clearly, you know, a, an athlete of, you know, a, a paragon level, but it seemed it seemed drastic to come back that early for an event as if she was trying to prove something that she didn't need to prove. Do you, do you agree with that? Or do you, do you think like, do the, I don't know anything about the twisties and how they can come and go. Like, was she ready or was she just like, you know what? I'm going to prove to you that I'm this. I think I, I agree to some degree. I think, I think she wouldn't, you know, she's like you said, a kind of a, at a paragon level of an athlete, she knows herself and she knows what? Pretty close to the best ever. Yeah, I mean, pretty close. Yeah, I'd say defin- gymnastics for gymnastics-wise, she's definitively the best ever, yeah. for sure. Um, but I think she she wouldn't have come back if she wasn't ready. I think yeah. I I knew, and I think most you know gymnastics fans kind of knew if she was going to come back, it was going to be for that one event um, because she could mm. reasonably get through that without having to do any twisting skills. Um, and so. Um, you know, I think it was, I think that was more just to prove to herself more than anything else. I don't herself, think, yeah, yeah, I don't think she cared about what anyone else had to say about it. You know, she obviously felt mm-hmm. immense pressure, but, um, I think it was just proving to herself that she, you know, could, you know, compete kind of on her, on her own terms. Well, listen, in my opinion, proving something to yourself is the most important reason to do anything. So if, if that was the reason, then great. Yeah. It's wonderful. Yeah. It's a fascinating story. I was I was really so is. glad to see how it all played out. I, Me you too. know, and and obviously Simone, you know, all the props in the world to her. But I love also, you know, examining some of the other kind of characters in the story from her mm-hmm. teammates and the support for her and how they were able to pull together great. and put mm-hmm. together yeah. an inspiring these inspiring performances. Mm-hmm. Like I'm sitting there, I've never cried watching gymnastics before, mm-hmm. Lindsay, and I'm sitting there crying watching <laughs> these girls do this. 
Um, and, and another one, this one hit me hard as a coach of youth sports is the support that she got from her coach, which seemed, I know, I know I don't hear those conversations and exactly what was said, but it seemed like it was immediate support of Simone said, I can't do this. And the coach said, okay. Yeah. And, um, and supported her and, and, you know, looked out for her first. And yeah, the coach was probably a little frustrated, like, oh my gosh, you you're stepping, you're Simone Biles, like do this, like all our training, everything that we've done, it's led to this moment and now you're stepping away. But she supported her and uh, I thought that was pretty inspiring too, so. Which in the gymnastics world, and I don't mean to like make this a more dramatic thing that we need to do here tonight, but that's a big thing in in the gymnastics world. I think I feel like there's been a lot of pressure on female athletes to perform from their coaches Mm -hmm. from, well, lots of different pressure points that are not acceptable and so yeah it's refreshing to see that now yeah i feel that's come a long way yeah i mean which is good there were you know dozens of gymnasts who competed in different time frames who all kind of spoke out whenever this happened and they were saying you know i i had this same issue and you know my coach didn't listen to me and you know i had was kind of forced to keep competing and you know, injured myself or almost injured myself or, you know, something like that. And so it's, you know, it is super important. And I think part of that, you know, probably has to do with, um, you know, her age and the fact that she's, she's a grown ass woman. She knows, you know, her own limits. And unfortunately that's a sport where a lot of times, you know, the athletes that are hitting their peak are, you know, teenagers and maybe don't have that much self-confidence. So hopefully that, you know, seeing her do that on such a big stage will, you know, inspire others to kind of be more assertive and, um, you know, be able to speak out when they need to. Yeah, I mean, I'm I'm speaking a little bit from a place of ignorance, I suppose, but I feel like that's a kind of a problem with gymnastics. The athletes are so young, mm-hmm. but they're so controllable and they're so malleable that they're willing to just put themselves out there you know, at their own expense to the greater glory. And I don't know how we fix it necessarily, but it has to be, you know, an institutional thing, right? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, that's been in these past few years, kind of looking through, you know, everything that sort of has gone wrong with USA Gymnastics specifically, but in other countries too. Um, That's, yeah, that's one of the main things that we've looked at is how, you know, for years and years, we've glorified, you know, the really young teenage girls as being, you know, the, you know, optimal physical specimens to compete in this sport. Um, And, you know, how much of that maybe was less about how physically in shape they are Mm. and more about them being really malleable and controllable. Um, It's it's sinister shit, man. (laughs) I mean, it's, it's kind of, depressing when you think about it yuck i don't Uh, mean to put words in your mouth but are you telling me like a 22 year old maybe is better than a 16 year old they just can't control them as well and so they pick the the 16 year old i think is that what you're telling me i think that the the kind of myth that's perpetrated by you know nbc and you know every olympics you know (laughs) if you actually watch all the coverage you know they just talk constantly about they, they glorify, you know, all the sacrifices that these girls, you know, go through at such a young age. Um, and they talk about, you know, 
they talk about Simone as if she's like 50 years old when in reality mm-hmm. she's you know, yeah. 20, 22, 22 24 um, or something. Yeah. and yeah. better than she's ever been. And you saw, you know, on the last Olympic cycle, Allie Raceman come back, you know, in her twenties and be better than she's Amazing. ever been. I love her. Um, I'd love to watch it. So I think, you know, absolutely mm. the, the average mm. age, actually a female gymnast in this, um, of all, you know, across all countries in this Olympics was actually, I think, like 21.7 or something, um, which mm-hmm. is more than it's ever been. Um, so I think abs- good. absolutely in this, um, you know, in this country for a long time and in others, I won't say it's just us. Um, you know, I, it's curious. It makes me wonder how much of it really is about physical fitness versus this is, you know, this is the best time to do this because they're you know, maybe their brains aren't as well developed and they're going to, you know, be, be more susceptible. Them. Yeah. Right. Fuck you. I won't do what you tell me. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Thank you, Zach. Yeah. Um, what was I, gonna, I had something there. Nope. Lost it. Never mind. I'm sorry. My <laughs> okay. lyrics screwed you up. Yep. Started thinking I, about Rage Against the Machine and I'm really excited. <laughs> my apologies. Uh, yeah, I feel, man, Lindsay, you've uh, opened my brain up to so many more possibilities of what's actually going on in this world uh, that I'm that I'm a barely a touch point on. I, I only look at it uh, every four years plus maybe once or twice when U of A is good. Yeah. Uh, you know, I, I look at the results or something, but what a fascinating world and, and something that maybe we just need to take a closer look at. Sounds like it's starting to happen. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I I definitely think it is. You know, unfortunately, it took. um, I won't say that it. You know, took what so many of you know the girls and survivors had to go through to bring this to light Mm because that shouldn't have ever had to happen. Um, But since certainly since that has kind of come to light, I think it's definitely definitely being looked at more, and there are a lot more eyes on it, which is. I think, you know, the most important thing in gymnastics and in any sport where you're dealing with, you know, minors, you know, you need, you need people who are going to kind of look at that critically and look out for, look out for those kids. So. Yep. Kids deserve that. Yeah. For sure. Agreed. So why do the ladies have to do like dance choreography on their floor <laughs> routines, but the guys just get to wheel and deal? I would. I've I asked would you this mur- question I would before, murder, Lindsay. I would murder to see the guys do, do those crazy floor routines murder there i'd love to see it there are some you know there are male gymnasts out there who would do a great job they're always posting videos but i mean it's obviously you know sexism come on um yeah back so i mean whenever kind of briefly and then we'll move on from gymnastics because this is not a gymnastics podcast but um i'm having a great time and that's all that matters <laughs> you know, this is fascinating whenever yeah. whenever that it kind of first started you know the women's side of things was much more like ballet focused um mm. and you know i think you probably saw a little bit more on the men's side too of kind of the artistic component because it is you know artistic gymnastics um they don't want to turn it just into tumbling because that's actually a totally separate sport but um, for some reason, that's kind of just persisted, I feel like, in, you know, the the women's competition specifically, whereas, yeah, you mostly see the men just running back and forth along the same diagonal and tumbling. And, yeah. Yeah. Right. And there's definitely some... It seems more like an athletic test than a, you know, uh, performance exercise. Yeah. yeah. It's definitely, definitely a difference. The women are expected to perform and, you know, yeah. in, within the 
code of points. I mean, there's deductions that women get for, you know, a lack of artistry and presentation and musicality and stuff. And that's, that shit's not in there you, for the men. You didn't pop yeah, your head. Exactly. Yeah. No. <sighs> All right. Yeah. Well, thank you. Uh, let's, let's lighten it. I have enjoyed it. And honestly, I would talk about this with you for hours. <laughs> yeah, we could keep but, going. <laughs> but I, I feel like, I feel like maybe you want to move on. So let's do that. Uh, on a lighter note, the podcast has talked about pets, oh, pets. recently with mm-hmm. some of our recent guests. Uh, I know you've you you've, you've got uh, something to weigh in on in that arena. Mm-hmm. Tell me about your pet life. Oh, yeah, just a couple. Um, so we actually have you know a little bit of a menagerie at the Ford household. Um, oh. Yeah, a couple or a menagerie because those feel different to me. Mm, yeah, no, definitely a menagerie. Um, okay. Yeah, so <laughs> I, I mean, I'm an animal lover. My husband, in particular, he loves all all critters, um, especially ones that are kind of typically neglected. Um, so mm. you know, we have two dogs. Um, we have tonks who's named after you know nymphadora tonks from harry potter mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, lovely yep we have braun who's sir braun of the blackwater oh come on yes okay I'm leaving. You, you've never met a dog who is less like his namesake like just <laughs> so nice. pitiful and quiet and all he wants to do is cuddle and eat those are like those are his only two wants in life man it's it's really funny um, That's you can perfect. rename that one Scat. If you want to. <laughs> we, I, I, think, I think the best pet names are the ones that are the complete antithesis of the personality. Yeah. It's like a Chihuahua named Bruiser yeah. or something. You know, it's I love that. Yeah. We really, nice. when we got him, Trace wanted to name him Hodor, and I thought that was mean, <laughs> but that really would have been more fitting. Um, but he's sweet. Um, and then fantastic. we we recently got a kitten a few months ago. Um, and then there's, um, I think in total, so five chickens, a rooster. Right. Um, the rooster was kind of accidental. We thought that it was going to be a chick. It was a chicken. And then, uh, <laughs> yeah, then she started to crow, and we Whoops. realized that it was a rooster. Um, and then we have a sulcata tortoise, which, fun fact, George R. R. Martin also has a sulcata tortoise. Um, and then Trace, uh, we have two snakes as well and they're both, they're both small. They're like yay long. They're not, they're not big boas or anything, but. Wow. Yeah. You, uh, we met the, we met the chickens in the rooster during a song of badness, Mm -hmm. right? Yes, we did. They put up. We got to know them quite well. Yep. They put up some good fights and Brienne won. We We do have a Brienne. Um, Yes. Brienne the champion this year. Really, kind of funnily, I need to tell this story, even though it's, you know, I talked about how we have two different, um, we bought the house behind ours, so whenever we moved into this house temporarily, um, we just decided we'll leave the chicken coop and the chickens next door, just go over there every day, check on them. Um, Brienne, true to her character fashion, has started to wander a bit, and she jumps over our fence into this yard where we are now and we'll just we'll find her wandering about in the backyard she lays her eggs back here and then just goes back over there <laughs> i'm trying to relay that to the series somehow finding her place. failing I'll, I'll figure it out she's just you know wandering about the the riverlands just you know it's what she does asking about a. can a you just just to humor me can you just put a flag in the ground ten. at a random point in your backyard that says cracklaw point and see if she wanders out there. Absolutely. Yes. All right, cool. Let me know how that goes. <laughs> yep. 
All right. Well, uh, shall we move on to the next question, which yeah. is, uh, what is something in your life that you are proud of? Yeah, that was, it's kind of a tough question, and I guess it really shouldn't be. I mean, I think definitely, usually if people would ask me that, I'd say, you know, my job and, you know, how mm-hmm. I've kind of gotten through that um, with medical school, residency, and, you know, all of that. Um, but it just sure. seems like so much that just takes up so much of my life. Um, you know, it's kind of crazy how, you know, folks who go through medical training, we spend so much of our lives, I mean, 11 years all in all for me. Um, mm-hmm. And then, you know, by the time we get out, that's for a lot of us all we've ever done. Um, so I was reading through that and mm-hmm. I'm like, gosh, that's like not the only thing I've done in my life or the only thing I have to be proud of, but it just seems like that's the that's the overwhelming um thing we're not we're not gonna we're not gonna ridicule you for claiming it i mean yeah <laughs> that's I mean, huge it's, that's huge it, it seems it seems like a, a legitimate accomplishment thank you for thank you for helping us all be healthy and uh serving us when we aren't you know yeah. yep for sure a great a great accomplishment yeah i think it's a, a fantastic answer yeah you got a you got a book, a band, a movie, a TV show, a recommendation for us? <sighs> Something we should rewatch? So I don't know, Ooh. anything. Yeah, I've you know, talked about this a little bit, but definitely, you know, ever with everything going on the past couple of years, I really haven't had brain capacity to take on new shows and, you know, new things mm-hmm. like that. So I've kind of been in this phase where, you know, once I get home or when I have my days off, I just like to rewatch kind of the old favorites, but um so that's you know like parks and recs probably my my number one go-to um yes but one so one show that it's a rewatcher for me but i'm sure there are a lot of people out there that probably haven't seen it before um it's on netflix uh it's called dairy girls have either of you guys seen that oh i remember when it came out yeah but i never watched it yeah is this is this about lancel's offspring no no (laughs) um so it is absolutely hilarious it's um about a group of teenagers that are living in northern ireland in the 1990s kind of during the troubles um and so it really it's a show just about you know teenagers and all of that all that crap that they go through but kind of set in the background of this huge political and religious conflict and civil war essentially mm-hmm. um so it's it's really really good everyone should check it out there's a first first two seasons are on netflix and i think they're they were um about to film the third season i think when COVID hit so hopefully they'll be able to do that soon but so it's a dramatic a dramatic series that is based on reality no it's, kind it's of entirely a comedy, a comedy. Right? yeah it's definitely a comedy okay. but it's okay. okay set um yeah, I mean, it's certainly... Set in the 90s. Yeah, set in the 90s. It's certainly set with a, you know, kind of dramatic sociopolitical event going on in the background, but... But a comedy. Yes, but Got focused okay. in on this, just, you know, what is it like to be a teenager and coming of age yeah, and yeah. all of that while Life also is dealing terrible. with this. Look how funny it is. Yeah, pretty much. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, okay, it's very, cool. very apt, you know? That's our kind of yeah. yeah, that's my kind of stuff. I love that's that. yeah, that's my jam. Dairy Girls. So that's D 
A I R Y. D E R R Y. D E R R Y. Yep. Okay. Yep. All right. Cool. Yep. Very good. Dairy Girls. Yep. So, so uh, why why uh, I'm jumping in that I'm doing it. Do it. So we're moving back into the chapter summaries, and we want to know before we do that, mm-hmm. why do you choose this specific chapter to cover on the podcast tonight? Why what what do you love about it? Um, well, you know, you've already mentioned for me, Jamie's Jamie's arc in this book is probably one of my favorites, not just in this book, but my favorite kind of character arcs, you know, on on the whole in the series. Um, so I was, I you know, knew I wanted to pick something from this book of his chapters. I was kind of torn between a few of them. Um, but yeah. what I liked about this one is it gives us kind of a little bit of the best of both worlds and that we get from him in this book. Um, you know, I think um, his, his chapters are really the best when he's kind of in his own head a little bit when he's doing sure. a lot of that reflecting upon himself and his relationship with the Kingsguard and with Cersei and his family and all of that. Um, and with this one, I felt like it's, you know, fittingly, you know, right in the middle of his arc of the book. Um, so we're still kind of seeing him clinging to who he was, but at the same time wanting so much to get away from that. Um, and we get, you know, um, kind of, you know, we're sort of right in the middle of his physical journey of going through, um, you know, going through the Riverlands and then also in the middle of kind of that emotional journey of him sort of breaking away from from his house and, you know, Cersei and things like that. So that's... And also a physical transformation, right, of trying to move on from his hand mm-hmm. and adjust to that. Yep. The beard, all that stuff. Yeah. The beard, lots. I mean, yeah, it's a whole thing. Yeah. It's it's like his whole, his whole physical and emotional character is changing. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I'm glad you picked it. Thanks for explaining why. I, I you know, the a lot of the chapters that we we, we cover here in these Meet the Kalisar episodes are major events in the books, and that's great. And we, I love covering those major events and analyzing their significance and everything. It's all so fun, however. To really just take a very character-driven chapter and just analyze the crap out mm-hmm. of the character. So I'm glad yep. you did that. There's not anything of huge significance here other than meeting, you know, what's the guy's name? Hog. Yeah, he's a pretty big character. Yeah. <laughs> Love that guy. We're about to meet he, him. <laughs> he is Azora High, I think, actually. Azora yes. High. Yep. Yeah. Uh, so, but uh, but we get to really learn about Jamie Lannister here and I think it's a great chapter. I'm glad you picked it. But can we dive into it? Yeah, Lindsay and I talked about yes, we will. Lindsay and I talked in our pre call about just the kind the types of chapters that we've covered in these Meet the Calisar episodes. And mm-hmm. you know, like we haven't had an Arya chapter. We haven't had a Danny chapter. We haven't had some of these bigger characters or, or at least many yeah. of them. I haven't had these a Tyrion chapter. Yeah. A Tyrion chapter, yeah. A lot of these bigger chapters we haven't had them it's it's kind of interesting the chapters that the callus are choosing and i love it i've been I love a, it. a big fan yeah. so yeah let's let's dive in to the next one and matt i think it's you again go for it yeah so they meaning jamie and co make their camp for the night as the sun sets behind the hilltop castle of house hayford the young lady of the castle turns out to be a literal literal toddler who was married to one Tyrek Lannister. Yes, that Tyrek. 
in order to secure her lands. But, um, as you will know, Tyrek went missing during the recent riots of King's Landing, and while presumed dead, Jamie recalls that before he was theory fodder, the boy was also King Robert's squire, and knowledge could be more valuable than gold or more deadly than a dagger. Ugh. Thinking about Varys coordinating this whole thing made Jamie want to hit someone. He finds the headsman sharpening his greatsword, and they make their way by moonlight to a courtyard off the castle armory. And now we discover the true reason Sir Illyn was invited along. Ah, Jamie wishes to train as a left-handed swordsman. I am not left-handed. Preferably... <laughs> with a practice partner who is unable to reveal his secret and his lack of skill. Unable to speak, read, or write, Sir Illyn makes the perfect training companion. You were you were a knight once, sir, Jamie said. So was I. Let us see what we are now. They danced beneath the horned moon as the blunted swords sang their steely song. Though Sir Illyn humors Jamie at first, allowing him to get a few cuts in here and there, um, it's not long before Jamie's battered, bruised, and more than a little humbled. Yeah, he promises Sir Illyn they'll dance again on the morrow. And day after day, through wind and rain, the host marches on towards the Riverlands. And each night, Jamie finds a place to dance with the silent headsman. So after finally crossing the stream that separates the Crownlands from the Riverlands, uh, the party comes upon the remains of a blackened keep. Uh, though neither the landed knights to which they belong nor any other small folk remain, uh, they were able to roust a handful of outlaws from the root cellar. Yeah, and though one of these outlaws from the root cellar bore a tattered Lannister cloak, Jamie hangs him along with the rest of them, feeling for once in his life like he had done some justice in the world. Make a habit of it, Lannister. And one day, men might call you Golden Hand after all. Golden Hand, the just. Wouldn't that be nice? Uh, finally, they come upon the steely gray waters of the God's Eye, and rising above it in the distance are the five melted black towers of the worst real estate investment in Westeros, Harrenhal. Upon entering the courtyard, Jamie is struck with a bizarre sense of deja vu. And it was not that long ago that he bid farewell to the Bloody Mummers in this very courtyard. Jamie knows he must start by inspecting the captives, but first he has to satisfy his own need for pettiness and inspect the head <laughs> of Vargo Hote. Uh, yeah. Though less than attractive to begin with, the goat's head has been absolutely ravaged. Uh, his ears, lips, and the better part of his nose have all been sliced off. The crows have been at his eyes for breakfast, but fortunately his filthy, nasty, two-foot-long beard remains. So filthy. So nasty. Anyway, to his dismay and horror, he learns from Shitmouth that bits of the roast goat had been fed to the winier of the captives, and even to Hote himself, eating himself. Creeped out and a little bit nauseous, Jamie finds that revenge isn't quite as savory as roasted goat and instructs his squire Peck to throw the head in the lake. Jamie speaks for all of us, I'd say, thinking, Gods, I hate this bloody castle. 
Yeah, but uh, on he must go. So next up are the castle dungeons. Jamie finds no trace of any of the bloody mummers who took his hand. So that particular vengeance must needs wait for another day. Instead, he frees a few of Lady Wentz people. Wentz people. Including oh, Pia. Uh, Pia, the sex worker who was sent to Jamie's bed the last time he was in Heron Hall. Uh, unfortunately, sweet Pia has fallen on some hard times. Uh, having spoken once when Sir Gregor wanted silence. Uh, so for that, he uh, knocked out most of her teeth and broke her nose. Totally reasonable reaction. Uh, totally. The highborn captives, however, even the ones who'd been fully nourished on goat, uh, had fared somewhat better. Uh, their wounds had at least been tended to, and none of them had gone hungry. Yeah, the mummers were sure to keep the hostages alive that were worth any coin. The prize among them was, of course, one Willis Manderley, whom Circe had stressed was important to the crown's needs. He sobbed and moaned with glee at the announcement that he would be put on a ship for White Harbor. Jamie here, man. Doing more good. And that's the end of this section. One of the things that happens at the top of this chapter as, as they're staked outside of uh, Hayford is that Jamie is making sure to be serious about his preparation defenses, which is something that you mentioned earlier. Mm-hmm. that he's taking all of these kinds of things more seriously which is i think a a very obvious nod to him just maturing yeah oh look he cares about other people yep absolutely yeah even even asking little lou piper to share the berries with yeah. the other men you know totally yeah. take them back give some berries to those guys yeah one of the things he struggles with in this chapter is uh, whether he can, in his own mind, I think, whether he can ever be replaced as the Kingslayer with what I think of as the Golden Goldenham the Just, which is the name of the episode today. And the problem with the Kingslayer ever not being kind of what he's known as is that, that moment is so iconic. Stabbing a king in the back and changing in a second who's in charge of the realm is it's so memorable he's gonna have to do something so noble or heroic that it almost replaces that other moment in people's minds like of the order of like killing a dragon or like winning a very high profile duel that like changes the ownership of the kingdom or something like it's gonna have to be a big moment to replace the narrative that already exists Mm -hmm. yeah it seems almost impossible. And I, I, I think he knows that. It, it feels almost like he knows it as he's thinking, like, ah, well, they're always just going to know me as the Kingslayer. Mm. Yeah, it's like he didn't get, you know, he doesn't he doesn't get his 60-minute interview where no. he gets to explain. Like clear the air. Yeah, and talk about, you know, the the how Ares was going to burn down all of King's Landing and all of that yep. stuff. He doesn't get to do that. And I think it, it goes back to that, what we talked about in the, the previous Jamie chapter, that talk with Loris, where Loris says the famous ones are remembered, and Jamie says the infamous ones are as well, meaning himself to one, some degree. And he starts to wonder if, he points out all those guys that are no names, basically, who wore white cloaks, who just served honorably, and 
died honorably and they're just they're recorded in the white book and that's where their memory resides and he's to the point now where he'd almost rather just have that yes. i would just yeah, rather have absolutely. been this night that just served honorably did my thing and went quietly into the night you know yeah this is a previous chapter we're talking about now but but it feels like he's almost warning loris it'd mm-hmm. be better if you were just one of these dudes than being one of these egregious ones mm-hmm. right just yeah. be a guy that served and retired and that's it mm-hmm. and now loris i mean as far as has been reported to us is lying clinging to life uh barely after trying to storm the walls of storm's end you know so more evidence of the king's guard going off and doing shit they don't need to do uh, yeah, he has 100%. no business being there frankly just 100 insane no business being there he's he, he went there because seriously wanted him to die yeah that's it i mean she he has no business being there she played him like a fiddle and baited him right into it and he yeah 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 good point so I, I just I just want to underscore it real quick. Just even with like 30 or 40 more years of service, Jamie's not going to outlive this Kingslayer thing. Not unless he does some epic moment that replaces it. Like the spot at the top is secure. Unless he like does something even more grand to replace the spot at the top, Kingslaying is yeah. what he's going to be known for. Period. Yeah. He's not getting out of it doesn't matter yeah i think he knows that too i think i think he knows it and it's interesting to you know think back to some of his earlier chapters or um even before we had his pov i feel like he kind of had that just this air of like irreverence to him um and arrogance like you know well i've already done the worst thing i could possibly do i'm just gonna keep being that guy um and then we see him kind of you know in storm and as he's kind of going through that journey with brienne and we really see it now where he i think he still knows that he knows that that's always going to be his legacy but he's he's still finding ways to try to do better and try to build little bits um of you know kind of a better legacy even though he knows Mm -hmm. you know he's he's not going to be able to overcome it yeah, the real victory will be when he's able to just accept himself for who he is and and own the reasons that he became the Kingslayer in the eyes of others yeah. and be okay with it, which is obviously easier said than done. Yeah, he cares a lot about what other people think. Yeah. Yeah. As we all do. Hmm. Do we want to talk about Tyrek? Uh yeah, we can talk about Tyrek. Let's do it. What do you got? What do you got, Lynn? I don't know. Where is he? I feel like I was frustrated in part reading this because it's like Jamie, he almost gets there thinking about, you know, how, oh, this would have been so easy for Varys to just arrange this. He didn't, he didn't go down to wish, you know, to say goodbye to Marcella. He, he knows everything. He surely knew these riots were going to happen. And then he kind of just drifts away doesn't doesn't really get full circle is he alive Mm -hmm. do we think i think he is yeah and and sometimes when george brings up the varus thing i think i feel like it's purposeful misdirection but it seems like it would work perfectly for it to be varus uh you know with him trying to 
position certain people into power for when he does bring Aegon over. And so with, um, you know, you've got Jamie, Lord Tywin's dead. Jamie, you know, is, is a member of the Kingsguard. Tyrion's a convicted Kingslayer and he's a whole continent away right now. Cersei is waiting to be tried for incest and adultery and all that stuff. Uh, she has her walk of atonement. Kevin has been murdered. Varys uh, does it, by the way. <laughs> Lancel is with the warrior's sons. It's like all these Lannisters who were ahead of Tyrek in the chain are dropping off. And it's almost like if Varys can just keep Tyrek hidden and butter him up at the same time and influence him. Because Tyrek, you know, we talked about teenagers being a little more malleable. Maybe he's a little more malleable right now. Um, open to the idea of Varys saying, hey, if I bring this guy over, you are Lord of Casterly Rock and you're the Warden of the West, little guy. All you got to do is swear fealty to this king. Boom. And all of a sudden, you know, Varys has House Lannister in his back pocket. I can't it seems see, like it's perfect. I can't wait to see a score on the beam. Uh, first of all, uh, Matt, that's a great answer because I had questions about like, what does it matter? Like everyone knows that Lancel was feeding Robert wine and everyone knows he was screaming for it, that Robert was demanding wine. And so what, what is Tyrek actually going to prove to Varys or to anyone else about the circumstances of Robert's death? And you're, you're, you're saying no, that's Doesn't not matter at all. Who cares? Right. He's just grooming an heir for this house for when everyone else is dead. And I, I love it. Yeah. It's great. Yeah. yeah, he might be doing the same thing with uh, Gendry and stuff. We know that he had a part with Gendry and maybe bringing in him back as you know, House Baratheon and even as a bastard. But you can kind of see maybe Varys is trying to put these people into place who are very malleable. And who can be controlled and kind of can be that new generation uh, of an age with Aegon, interestingly enough, yeah. that can be like his crew, kind of his entourage to a degree. I like the idea of a get Gendry's name out of your mouth. <laughs> he is pristine and uncorruptible. <laughs> Every, All right. Everyone is corruptible. Not Gendry. Oof, <laughs> dark. Put that helmet on, the, the bull helmet, and they won't even hear you. <laughs> all right uh what else we got i just think i know this isn't you know we when we talk a lot about the wolf pack you know um kind of ruling the riverlands now we always seem we associate that with aria and nymeria yes, and things like that but i just think it's interesting it's laced through so so many of these chapters even the ones that aren't directly related to her just how um, you know, the, the wolves are everywhere. They're really kind of taking over this, this land that used to be, you know, it's right up the road from King's Landing. You know, he, Jamie talks about how in the past, the King's Road would have been just full with travelers and merchants and tons of people. And now there's, they're only wolves. And I think that's really, really interesting how George is just setting that up throughout, throughout the entire book. Yeah. seems like I didn't notice that a lot in early reads the wolf pack but yeah. it's they're they're quite prevalent they're in a lot of different povs and chapters and they show up a lot it's interesting yeah. bonifer specifically says these are demons in the skin of mm -hmm. wolves sent to chastise us for our sins 
I mean, he's talking about Arya. Specifically yep. Arya. As a demon in the skin of wolves. Mm-hmm. And he's absolutely right. She is there to torment them. And I think it's foreshadowing that she's going to come back and torment others. Torment them even in the, more. In the Riverlands or the Crownlands, right? Yeah, and it's interesting that Bonifer himself makes that statement, him being so devoted to the faith of the Seven. And it and kind of five vampire in, stories. Yeah. indicative of that animosity between old god worship and mm-hmm. faith of the seven that he's demonizing, you know, some of that older god magic as it's known. And he doesn't even know he's doing it, really. There's a line in there when Jamie and Ellen are about to spar, uh, about to spar when Jamie says, let us see what we are now. He's talking about how they used to be knights. Mm -hmm. Let us see what we are now. Which is an interesting line because it it could have been something more like, let's see what we can become. Or Or let's see what we can do. Let's see what we can do. Let's see what effect we can have. But it's less certain than that. Let's see what we are now. Let's measure ourselves. Let's see what we're capable of. It's a guy who projects absolute confidence and certainty that inside is so vulnerable that he doesn't even know what he is. Mm-hmm. Yep. It's, it's one of my favorite lines maybe in the entire series because it shows the vulnerability of, of somebody who is supposedly so strong. Glad you called that out. That is a beautiful line. Yeah, I hadn't, and... I hadn't thought of it that way. He's been so, I mean, his whole life has been built around his fighting prowess and what he can do. And all of a sudden when that's taken from him, he's left trying to figure that out. And also it's interesting that he's defining that by a fight. He's like, turning I, back to fighting. Yeah. That's like been his, you, that's, that's been his measuring stick his whole life. Yeah, that's the only but way he's, he's ever been it. defined is as, as a warrior. But it doesn't have to be like he's no. shown in this chapter and we'll get through more of it as we go. But he's shown in this chapter that he's capable of making good decisions, of executing judgment, of of, of leading men, of of showing compassion and care for people that have been victimized. He shows all of these things in this chapter. And yet still mm-hmm. he's saying, OK, uh, I did all these great things two hours ago. Let's see what we are with these swords. Yep. Man, who that's, gives a fuck? That's why like, I say he's he's <laughs> almost unconsciously changing. Like yeah. when he tells Lou Piper to give share the berries, he's not like thinking, oh, I just did a really nice thing right there. You know, he just does it. It's it's becoming an unconscious thing. Uh in one of the other chapters, I can't remember if does he at Derry before it's after this that he's at yes, Derry. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, it's after because he's got Pia with him. Where he yep. he tells Joss Peckledon to treat Pia kindly, you yep. know, because um, Joss wants to make a move. Yep. He does these things almost without even really thinking it. Uh, he's not equating it to greatness, is what I'm trying to say. He's not seeing the greatness in it because the only measuring stick he's ever had for greatness is what he can do with a sword. And that's yeah. I don't. Tragic. I don't. I don't think he sees his own progress. He doesn't. You're right. He do, he doesn't yeah. see like, oh, I, I did this good thing. I mean, at, at one point in this chapter, he says, if you keep doing this, maybe Goldenhand the Just. 
but it's like it's still a violent act yeah. it's hanging people hanging and he's like yeah. oh if i keep hanging people i'll maybe i'll be got golden hand the just instead of like oh if i keep saving people like pia i could be golden hand the just yeah. he still attributes everything to to violence and and action yeah yep sorry Lindsay, yeah. were you gonna say something um I don't think so. Not not on that note. So if you have anything else on that, then we can keep talking about that. I had something else I noticed that I thought was well, let's interesting. Let's move on to that. Um, so I, I mean, we've you guys have talked about before. One of the themes I think throughout this whole book, which I'll note, this is you know the last year or so was the first time I'd ever read Beast on its own. The first time I actually read it, I read it yeah. as the like feast dance combined reading order um, when I read four and five. Um, so reading this on its own, I actually like this book a lot more um, because it's just, I think, better better on its own. Um, Thematically, yeah, yeah, I agree. Um, I think the first time reading through, I'm kind of more, you know, I want to get, I want to get to the plot. I want to get to what's happening with John and Danny and Tyrion and what the hell is going on with this new Targaryen and there's you know all of that that's going on in dance can be kind of distracting from I think just the overall themes that George is trying to you know really bring to light in this book and one of those I think he kind of harps on throughout all the books which is just you know the when the high lords play their game of thrones it's the small folk that suffer and I th- mm-hmm. something that really struck that home to me was I think it's is it Sir Roger or Sir Robert Hogg Sir Roger, Roger. Um, you know, he's kind of just pouring out all his grievances to Jamie and he's talking about, you know, the, the white star wolves and the lions and the four legged wolves. And to him, those are all the same, you know, to us, we see, you know, we've started all of this and always thought of the Starks as, you know, the good guys and maybe the Lannisters as the bad guys. And, you know, to the everyday people that are just kind of being thrown in the middle of this, they're all, they're all the same. You know, all these people are coming through and just ruining their lives and their livelihood and that's that's what war does that's what the selfishness does yeah we know that the white star wolves are the car stark mm-hmm. uh abandoners mm-hmm. of the main stark cause right the ones that are out looking for jamie in revenge for car stark's beheading mm-hmm. the white star wolves but he doesn't even know what to call them we know that the car starks right yeah and he's he's so isolated from the main political conflict that man i'm glad he has a stone keep because he's just protecting his people like they're 20 just whoever of them. he can mm-hmm. yeah it's like 20 people or 30 people he's, he's their hero them. yeah he's their hero yeah good for him Old he's Raji like Hogg. he's like the hero of the chapter for me <laughs> roger Hogg. yep yep Irma Sand Hayford isn't your uh, isn't your hero of the chap? Man, <laughs> baby baby lords are hilarious. <laughs> hilarious. That's like slapstick for me. It's like uh here are these here are these child rulers that actual humans that can make decisions are deigning to. Uh, you know, when all they really want is a snack. It's uh Kind of hilarious, child lords. Spoiler alert: All I ever want is just a snack, too. <laughs> well, that's fair. That's fair. 
I just want some Ritz crackers or some Oreos <laughs> with milk. That's all I want. Uh, hmm. I don't have too much more on this uh, section. Yeah, I don't think I do either. Uh, I got... Um, well, we, talk, we haven't talked about Gregor's men at all and how much they suck, which yeah. is in this section. Um, uh, I mean, even if we don't talk about all that, just how about just an acknowledgement of how great Shitmouth is? Of course. Yeah, great. Because underrated character. I mean, fucking the spear over and over and over again as your <laughs> as your call out line is pretty great. That really should have been the title of the episode. But, oh, no. Fucking with the spear. It should have been. Missed Up the Baylor the butthole. <laughs> A lot of missed opportunities here. We can leave it at that, I guess. It's it's not that important stuff that I have notes about. It's just how bad they suck. Yeah. Um, he does think about Brienne here because he's on the way. Yeah. I don't know. We'll, we'll probably get more into that in the next section, I guess. So we can leave it. Yeah. Fine. 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 Fine then. Go then. Fine. Go then. Go. Uh, I'm going. Go then. Sh- shall yeah. we get to know Lindsay section two? As yes. the outline calls out. Yeah, <laughs> let's uh let's dig into a song of ice and fire a little more. As much as we like talking about the gym internet. Um I know. What and Lindsay, we do. is your kind of a song of ice and fire story? How'd you find it? Well, I'm um like you know a lot of people i think in that you know i've kind of got into the books by way of the show um you know i talked about my husband uh trace he um you know got got into the show first um and then found the books from there i think he had read just about all of them um and then you know kind of got me into reading them as well um so i mm-hmm. um you know, kind of found it through there, um, you know, read through most of the books and then kind of started watching the show as well. And, um, you know, for me, I've kind of, I know you you guys aren't really a show podcast in any way, but for me, I've kind of been able to separate the two. And I think I'm really, really thankful for that because a lot of, you know, people have feelings. They have a lot of feelings about the show. And I do too. Still, a lot. Still, like every, still every a lot week, of feelings. Every week, I feel like there's this whole new discourse about it. I'm like, can we just, ah? Uh, but, um, you know, they're to me, they kind of diverge somewhere, you know, along there, and I'm able to enjoy them both separately. But, and I'll always, right. you know, the show will always have a little bit of a special place for me because that's what kind of introduced me to to George's as world. It should. So, yeah, as it should. Yeah. I'm the same way. I, I have no love for the show, but the show also was my kind of introduction to the whole idea of the series. Mm-hmm. And um, I don't I don't have any need to see the series that I've read. And so I just kind of put it to the side and say, that's different. I don't care. Um, well, don't worry, you... Skad, because it's not the series that you read. So. <laughs> well, but, but I admire you guys that can do both. I, can, I can't. Right. I feel like I would get more bitter. If I watched mm. them, if I watched the series, mm. and try to keep my my canon in my head from the books, so you know, being introduced to it by the show, and then reading all the books, uh, and then just setting the show aside has been the healthiest way for me. But it's been such a it's it's such a weird 
disconnect because it did introduce so many of us mm -hmm. to the series that we love. Yep. And yeah. setting aside seems disingenuous. Like, thank you, show, for showing me this world, you know? Yeah. Mm -hmm. so, so that was the show and then the books. How did you get into the fandom? Like, what, what was your what was your way into, you know, Twitter, the Twitterverse, or listening to podcasts, or yeah. however you found the fandom first? Yeah. What was your gateway? I think, so actually, I think it was through you guys and your podcast. Um, I, the first, like, really conscious thought I have of remembering, you know, I want to dig into this series a little bit more, um, and this kind of becomes sort of a longer story, but... Like I said, I think it was about 2016. Um, so I was in my last year of med school. Um, during that time, you know, we do um, you know a lot of interviews for residencies and what we call auditions, where we'll spend you know a whole month somewhere, um, you know, working at this residency program and you know kind of saying, hey, I want to be here. This is what I can do. Um, so that for me entailed a lot of driving, you know, all across the state, you know, multiple times a week. Um, and I had, I think, recently finished the books or was about to, and um, I just kind of recently gotten into podcast and um, started searching A Song of Ice and Fire. I'm like, hey, I want to hear, I want to hear more about this. I want to kind of dive more into it. And you know, I found, you know, I'm sure it pulled up a bunch of different options, and I just remember kind of reading through some show descriptions, and you know, kind of pulled up your guys's and listened to a few episodes, and felt like. Hey, this is this is what I like. It's conversational, but it's informative, and um, you know, f kind of listened listened to that. And I think pretty pretty quick that fall, you know, listened all the way up to where you guys were, which was I think finishing Storm. Um, you know, right. on all those yeah. keeping me company on all those long road trips. So thanks for that. Um, but it's what we do. Yeah. Thanks for thanks for joining yeah. us. Yeah. I think from there, you know, I heard you guys reference, you know, a lot of other great shows like Radio Westeros. And so I kind of got into mm -hmm. those and just sort of kind of blossomed from there. I don't know when I really started engaging more on Twitter. It was probably a little bit later, but um, yeah, that's where it all started for me. So podcast was kind of your first introduction to the larger fandom in general. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I'd that's cool. never, you know, read any of the you know, long theories or been on like the websites and Reddit and all yeah, of that yeah. until right until later. So right, cool, oh, cool, cool. Yeah. Thank you for finding us. I'm that glad makes we... me so happy. <laughs> I know. I you probably saw Lindsay. I couldn't stop from smiling when you were saying it. I covered my mouth like Pia does uh, to hide to hide my smile. Talk more about it's... how much you like us. <laughs> I mean, I know it's terrible, right? That that I get so much enjoying out of it, but no, like, it feels good, man. It does. It really does. I'm not gonna hide it. Like, it feels it feels great. I'm glad that you enjoyed it. I'm glad that that it helped you. you we know, have this relationship more involved. Now. Yeah, yeah that's and the now big it's thing turned to me. this. Yeah, yeah totally. That it, yeah, for show. Yeah. So yeah, favorite. Uh, let's get in some Song of Ice and Fire questions even further. Favorite. Mm -hmm. minor family i'll even take major family too but let's Ooh. let's let's dig deep a little bit here so it depends on what are, house hog what are, it's going to be house hog obviously obviously house roger hog. hog um it kind of it depends on what we're calling minor so i've looking yeah. at this i pretty much said okay anyone who's not 
one of the great houses. Um, yeah, that's fair. Sure. And sure. I don't know so much that these are my favorites, but just more of the ones I'd like like to know more about and like to get more background about. about and I'm sure we never will. But um, for me, I think, you know, the Blackwoods, I find really fascinating. Um, Ooh, yeah. As well as the Mormonts. I just think their whole, like, female warrior culture is so neat and i'd love to get you know more backstory on that um mm-hmm. you know, i'd also love to kind of see what the red wines are up to like are they just mm. you know growing their grapes making wine chilling on their island like just, selling sailing seems like such a nice nice life like they they brought us <laughs> olena who's maybe one of my favorite characters in the whole series i mean i just feel like they've got it going on too so there's there's so many i couldn't couldn't narrow it down to just one but yeah, it feels like the red wines are just kind of playing the odds. Like, whatever allows us to move on and grow more grapes mm-hmm. is good. And build our wealth. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Like, we're comfortable. <laughs> We've got a sweet island and grapes and wine. Mm-hmm. Just don't bother us. We'll Life is good. Yeah. go out and fight wars for you as long as you just don't bother us. Yeah. That's what I feel like the red wines are all about. So, I haven't thought about the red wines very much. I need to think more about them because that's fascinating. <laughs> they're, yes. they're wonderful at semen. Yeah. Yeah. Wonderful semen. Mm. Semen. Nope. Just leave it. <laughs> yep. I, le- I left it. You're the ones that responded. <laughs> Lindsay, why do you think you keep coming back to A Song of Ice and Fire? Like, what, what about A Song of Ice and Fire specifically like, keeps you engaged like, you can just read A Song of Ice and Fire and just move on. Like, mm-hmm. why do you think you're still here? You know, I think there's so many so many different things that really play into it. But I think the main thing is just the characters. Um, you know, there's the, the story itself has so much depth. It's obviously unfinished. Um, we have so much more that we, you know, hope to and want to get from the story. But... Just every every time I read, I feel like I just learn more about the characters, and there's so much, so much more to find out about them, and so much more nuance every time. That I think that's mm-hmm. that's mostly mostly it. And honestly, I think you know a lot of that I have to credit to the fandom too, just because there's so many so many aspects of the story and of those characters that I hadn't ever really considered until you know hearing what other people have to say about them and kind of you know their their ideas and thoughts and you know it just i feel like it's just an endless you know i don't know what i'm trying to say i'm i'm teetering off here but you know there's just there's just so much i feel like every time i dive into it there's there's something new that i haven't thought about and that i haven't thought of before and it just keeps me coming back Mm -hmm. but i think at the end of the day it's it's the characters and this whole world that george has created and it's just for me, kind of one of those things that's become just a comfort, like just, you know, I was talking about kind of when I found you guys on the podcast, that was a really tough time in my life because I was trying to figure out, okay, where am I, what am I going to do with Your my future. medical career? Yeah. yeah. What am I, where am I going to live? You know, what are we going to do? Um, and for me, it's one of those stories that I can always come back to, um, you know, when it's, when I need kind of that escape, you know, I just need to be somewhere else and kind of dive into a different world and yeah there's always you know it's always there i love that i love it too and i feel like i don't want to speak for matt but for me the fandom itself is one of those stories that i can always kind of dive back to for these last five years of my life six years of my life they define 
my life for these last five years, right? And the things that I can help try to define these years as I look back to them. So Right. Yeah, the fandom's definitely a big part of that. I totally get it. Yeah. yeah. Like you're saying, Lindsay, like they bring so many the fandom brings so many so much more richness to the story. And it's because we identify with these characters or at least some of the things that they've been through in so many different ways. Like I don't hear a lot of people say I identify perfectly with Jamie Lannister or I identify perfectly with Sansa yep. Stark or it's I identify parts. perfectly. Mm-hmm. But it's like what Sansa went through, I went through that too. Or when Theon Greyjoy had that thought, I've had that same thought before mm-hmm. when I went through this. And by sharing all these hundreds, thousands of people sharing their experiences, it adds so much more richness to the characters and our understanding of them. It's really powerful. Yeah. So I love that. Anyways, so <laughs> who's the this big so bad of A Song of Ice and Fire? If we were I'm to, not sure. Have we, we asked put this that, before? I'm not sure we've asked this before. I think this is the new one. That's why I chuckled, buddy. Uh, so this is, this is who's who's just the ult, the ultimate villain? Is that the question? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm not sure there is one. This might be a trick question. I, I, we just wanted you to answer it so that we had one for later. I might have thought. I, I don't know that I really had to think this much about it, but I feel like I'm taking it a little too deep. But I, I am gonna say the Iron Throne. Love it. Yeah. A, th- a, a thematic big yeah. bad. I think. Yeah. I think the desire for power Mm -hmm. is the big bad. The Iron Throne. Lindsay. My camera's not on. You can't see my head exploding. (laughs) There's gore all over the walls now. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I love that answer. I I feel uh, anytime anyone asks me uh, who's going to end up on the Iron Throne, I'm like, hopefully nobody. Hopefully it's melted down to nothing. Hopefully they realize that that's not the best form of government. Yeah. Uh, and so I, I don't disagree with you. Yeah. I think there is probably a more sinister, uh, more immediate villain. Yeah. But the the underlying, perhaps worst evil mm-hmm. in the kingdom is yeah, yeah. Maybe it is the Iron Throne, the desire to rule yeah. everything. And I mean, yeah. it it distracts. I feel like everyone who aspires to that, it you know, on that kind of in that same vein of you know, there is a more immediate kind of sinister villain and threat to the kingdom but that the desire for power the desire to rule is you know distracts everyone who could potentially do something about that and i feel like it's been yeah. you know kind of just a constant source of corruption and yeah that's when i read that question i was like i know that they're meaning this to be a joke but that was that was the first thing that came to mind it, it hits a little too close to home i feel like maybe um the real villains in our own lives, mm. perhaps, are. Wow. Ourselves. <laughs> yep. But, well, no, those that seek power within our government. Yeah. <laughs> that the, the, the want that control mm-hmm. because the people that we should want in control shouldn't want control. So yeah. those that seek it are dangerous. All right. Uh, Whose yep. POV are you most excited to get in Wins? Which is coming out. I'm put confident. those vibes out there, buddy. Keep yep. putting them just out there. Put I'm it confident. Out into the void. Every I'll just say, like, every day I wake up and I'm just like, maybe today's the day. 
And really? he's just going to drop. You're an optimist. Like, maybe he's. You are an optimist. I'm just thinking, like, he's going to just pull a Beyonce and be like, here it is. Or it's Kanye. done. Yeah. It's out. Here's the book. Like, no lead up. And I just, that's it's like, not gonna happen. On, on my on my bad days, that's what gets me up in the morning. And I just need to, I, mean, I just need to let it happen. But. I love, um, I love it. I don't want to rob you of that, <laughs> but that's not going to happen. No. Um, just give her it. Just, just let me have this. All um, right, you can have it. I. Oh, how much time do you have, Jesus? I. There's so many. I think. For I want different ones for so many different reasons, but I mean Davos is one that sticks out. I want to know what the hell's going on. I want to know. I want to see Skagos. I want to see what the what has become of Rickon. I need to know, I need to know what happens to Shaggy Dog. It's the most important, you know, <laughs> element of this whole thing. This um, whole thing. Just that's none of it matters, you know, if not for Shaggy Dog. But if not Shaggy, um, you know, I also am interested to see. Um, you know, I don't know whether this will be more of an Asha or a Theon um, perspective, yeah. but you know, kind of what what plays out in the North. Um, you know, that's an interesting one to me. I feel like I should say, you know, John slash ghost, but to me that's I don't know. I don't know. That's not I'm not as, you know I'm excited about that, but it's mostly, you know, these other characters and storylines that I feel so attached to that I just I really want to see what happens. It's mostly Shaggy Dog. Yeah, mostly. Mostly that's Shaggy Dog. Yeah. I that's fine. Good answer, good answer. For me, it's Arya. Mm-hmm. Uh, she's a very isolated character. Yeah. And she's got no one else around her. So that's that's my answer for that question. But uh, I think all of your answers were good ones. Matt, anything to weigh in on? Um, Really interested to see uh, what happens with Theon and Stannis and all of them. I know we've gotten that True. one sample chapter, but that's... Pink Letter and the Battle of North the... stuff. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's the one that gets me the most. But also Davos on Skagos. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Well, we should move on to uh, the section three of the chapter summary. Part three. Later in the evening, Jamie takes his supper, free of goat, with Sir Bonfer Hasty, a pious, slightly misogynistic dickweed who has been chosen as acting castellan of Harrenhal until Lord Creepyfinger sees fit to claim his seat, of course. Uh, as Stormlander... Sir Bonifer has no ties to the Lords of the Trident. He's sober, righteous, and just, with a well-disciplined team of soldiers at his back. Jamie loathes him. That's right. His only advice for Sir Bonifer is, armor yourself in faith by all means, but wear a suit of mail and plate as well. Regarding pursuing the Hound, Jamie adds, send him to join his beloved brother and be glad the the gods made seven hells, one would never be enough to hold both of the Cleganes. Taking his leave of Sir Bonifer, Jamie steps out into the cool night air in search of a fight. He was almost to his destination before he realized where he was going. The pale light of a lantern casts a glow over what was left of the bear pit, and as Jamie approaches, he sees the visitor is clogged with in red and white surcoat with a pair of dancing griffins. Red Ronnet Connington one of my favorite names in the whole series, has come to see the spot where the bear danced with the maid of Tarth. After throwing a few more sexist jabs Brienne's way, he confesses to Jaime that he was once betrothed to Brienne. Lord Selwyn had made three matches for his maiden daughter, and Red Ronnet had been the second. 
But when Red Rana traveled to Tarth and met his intended, he deemed her a sow in silk. Before he can fire off another insult to Brienne, Jamie bitch slaps him so hard, and it is so beautiful. We'll read it, you know, in its in its full length here. Jamie's golden hand cracked him across the mouth so hard the other night went stumbling down the steps. You are speaking of a highborn lady, sir. Call her by her name. Call her Brienne. Yeah. And this is the first moment where we see uh, Jamie use this hand, but he kind of relishes using it in future chapters. It's kind of like his thing. Yeah. He's like owning it a little yeah. bit. Yeah. yeah. I'm going to I'm going to hit people with this thing. Give it's it almost to me. like he he Do it. He kind of faux embraces the title of Kingslayer at least outwardly. Uh, yeah. Here he's kind of f- embracing that golden hand, the just. Yeah. Uh Yeah. I love it. Oh, and of course, that's what Brienne always demanded of him, that he call her by her name. Yes. And how fun is it to see him turn that around? And Yeah. Yeah, yeah it's beautiful. Uh, we spent most of our time, the last time we covered this chapter, talking about Brienne and Jamie's mm-hmm. relationship and feelings for each other. Do you want to dive right back into that? Oof. That was a long discussion, buddy. It was it was a good one though. I felt I felt good. like it was very genuine and um, honest. Yeah, yeah. I think we were talking about uh, just to to review it. We talked about how you know the feelings that Jamie has for Brienne could very well be romantic, and the feelings that Brienne has for Jamie could very well include romance as well. But it doesn't necessarily have to include romantic feelings in order for a relationship to be strong and true and genuine. Uh, You can have a fantastic, warm, wonderful relationship with another human being without having any feelings of romantic attraction. And uh, we talked a lot about Jamie just respecting Brienne for who she was as a person. Um, And that could be a driving focus on it. I think that's mainly what we were getting at. Yeah, for me, and I'm interested to hear Lindsay's opinion because uh, right. she's yet another opinion that we can weigh in on here. But mm-hmm. to me, this scene with Connington is, it, it has one real purpose, which is to remind us that Jamie has unresolved feelings or, mm-hmm. you know, perhaps just... He's working through them. Yeah, he's working through exactly how he feels, but he knows that it's at least respect that she deserves his you know, respect and attention and protection to her name, but, but that he's still working through it. I think that's the purpose mainly of this scene, but I'm, you know, I, Matt, I've heard yours, you've heard mine. I'm interested in what Lindsay has to think about this. Absolutely. Yeah. I think I agree that this is, I mean, it's still something he's definitely working through. I mean, earlier in the chapter is he, I think before they get to Hall, he's thinking about, um, you know, I've, wonder if she's been this way i could ask the travelers if i don't remember how he described her face but it was still disparaging um you know the way that he was kind of describing her and thinking about her and then you know in the next moment he'll think of her a lot more positively and respectfully um (laughs) and it's definitely i think he starts to realize that when he hears somebody else you know the way somebody else is talking about her um and you know he feels that like instant defensiveness which you know can be problematic in and of itself but um you know she doesn't 
really needs someone to come defend her, but he still feels, you know, like he needs to make sure that she's being shown respect in some way. So I think it's, I agree, mm-hmm. it's, you know, they're complicated feelings and he's still kind of working through that and trying to figure out what it is he really does feel for her. And that, you know, juxtaposed with his evolving feelings towards Cersei, I think is really, really fascinating because you're seeing him kind of, if, you know, if he ever did have respect for her, it's definitely moving away from that. Um, Whereas with Brienne, it's, you know, it's sort of the opposite. Yeah. Nobody, nobody dares disrespect Cersei in this way, but if they did, I'm not sure he would react this way. I remember when we covered this the first time, Matt. We I said, "Hey, man, would you uh, would you protect me like this?" And you're like, "I would," and uh, or paraphrasing a little bit, perhaps. But right, yeah, you know, like realistically, this is a reaction you get that's kind of visceral and immediate, and you react in the moment. Don't think and about I'm, it, man. yeah, I don't think he would do that for Cersei. This is something you do for someone you have tremendous respect for. Maybe love for, but love kind of is immaterial in the reaction. Mm-hmm. It's something yep. you do for someone you have immense respect for. Yeah, he's working through a lot of things. And I think it's uh, maybe George reminding us. I'm just thinking back to, I'm trying to remember the chapter where he gives her um, Oathkeeper. And he kind of dismisses her rather abruptly and everything. Hmm. And pretty rudely, <laughs> like classic Jamie style. And uh, I think this was a reminder to the reader of those feelings that he's still working through, that he's still figuring out. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, I think I agree. Uh, anything I'm, I'm afraid to ask, to be honest, I feel like it might just get crickets, but anything to say about Sir Bonifer? Ugh. Ugh. Well, that's, that's pretty good. Uh, that's better than crickets. Yeah. Uh. As a, as a matter of fact, <laughs> Matt the Pops has something to say. I was going to say, am I the Bonifer Hasty of this podcast? I, I, I feel like I set you up, but you were too slow to respond, babe Ruth. I gave you the pitch. I sincerely hope I'm not the Bonifer Hasty of this podcast. Um, no, but uh, I had a thought. So... Bonifer, Jamie tells us, was a promising tourney night, right? Jamie doesn't know really know what happened, um, but a defeat or a disgrace or a near brush with death, and he stopped jousting afterwards, deciding it was an empty vanity, and he turned to the faith, right? That's the story that Jamie gives us. Yeah. Yes. Barristan, in A Dance with Dragons, you probably both know this already, uh, tells of a knight who put away his lance the day your lady mother, he's talking to Danny wed your father so queen rayella so this knight who put away his lance after queen rayella got married is presumed to be bonifer hasty um and so bonifer may have he at least had some sort of infatuation with queen rayella uh we don't know if that was reciprocated really um but uh yeah they talk about barristan says it was a landed knight who did that and everything and Fingers point to Bonifer Hasty. So, and I think, I think in the world of ice and fire, I think they confirmed that it was mutual. Excellent. Even better. Interesting. I wonder how that could come into play mm-hmm. if Danny makes it back to Westeros. Mm-hmm. 
Say mm. she can't take Dragonstone. Say she needs a foothold in the Riverlands. Who's holding Hall when she comes, potentially? Bonifer frickin' Hasty. He sees Daenerys Targaryen for the first time, and who does he see? Queen Rhaella. Or King Harris. Uh, yeah, King Harris, yeah. <laughs> and is that a foothold that Danny gets? Could Danny take Hall because Bonifer Hasty has it right now, and Bonifer Hasty has that uh, history with Daenerys's mom. Um, I thought that was interesting. Bonifer Hasty also has uh, he's he's shown a propensity for bouncing around allegiance wise. He started out with Renly. He jumped over to Stannis, mm-hmm. and then now he's aligned with House Lannister and Joffrey. Well, yep. originally Joffrey and stuck with him. So, you know. He's shown that he's willing to change allegiance. Um, and uh, I don't know. I thought that was an interesting little potential thread that could turn into something. I agree. One of the questions I have uh, for this chapter section is what's going on at Hall? Because we don't hear much past this Jamie 3 chapter. We don't hear much at all about what's it's going quiet, on at Hall. Yeah. We know what mm-hmm. Sir Boniface AC is proposing. They're going to clean up the Riverlands, they're going to maybe catch Sandor or other rebels, and they're going to get people back farming and, and you know, living their lives. Um, which which sounds like a good plan. Sir Bonifer sounds like he's got, you know, the right idea to me. So, you know, for all his, you know, worshipping and, and uh, I guess, condemning the weak like Pia, mm-hmm. he's got a good plan, maybe, for the Riverlands. But one of the questions I had was, where is it right now? Because we haven't heard much. And I wonder if, yeah, like you said, Matt, it's some sort of incoming surprise. Because it feels like Hall's not going to just be a constant joke. I feel like right. I feel like it's going to mean something sometime. It's too big to just be a constant joke, right? And, right? Yeah, and that would be so big for right? Danny to take that as, as something. So. Hmm. You guys put, you know, way more stock in Sir Bonifer than I even thought about. <laughs> I just was like, this guy's kind of a dick, but that's he is. that is really interesting. Listen, Lindsay, I think... he has God on his side, or sorry, God's <sighs> yeah. seven mm-hmm. or minus one or whatever. Yeah. They're on his side. Whatever. Still a dick. Um, <laughs> still a dick. But Huge dick. that's that is really interesting. I mean, I. It's interesting that you say it. you think Hall's not going to be, you know, just just a big joke or kind of cursed at the end of the day. Because I, I think I'm inclined to think differently. I don't really have a, a reason for that. It just seems like one of these things that's just constantly been, just almost cursed. You know, since since the day mm. it it burned. Um, so if Danny does take it, I think that that doesn't bode very well for her. Um, yeah, maybe but, that could be something sinister. Yeah, Ooh, but like the that. greatest thing about the Red Sox curse is that they did break it, right? Mm. <laughs> I, I feel like I feel like the curse is like this big build up to like some event where it matters. Maybe not. Yeah, who knows? I have also said this about the top, the High Tower. So yeah, you know, who knows? Yeah, just yeah. any time, like we said about Renifer Longwaters, any time we get like even a slight hint of backstory to a really minor character, yeah. I start thinking about like how could this matter? Bonifer is Azor High. 
Yeah. Ugh. And I, I don't think he'll be a life changing, Danny changing person in her story, but Lindsay just gave a real woof. <laughs> like a real reaction woof, woof. to Sir Botfer being Azura And I, I wonder if it's I wonder if to we could I'm happy. I wonder if I could isolate that and use it as Please like a do. sound bite <laughs> for with the Lindsay's, future. With, with Lindsay's uh acknowledgement and agreement uh, for sure. But yes, yes I suppose. Amazing. That's something that we could just use forever now, like whenever we say something that's very woof-worthy. It's going to be very, very tight to get because it was very light. I barely heard it. And I'll just go like, woof. (laughs) She was trying to be respectful. That's awesome. You know, I think I will give him this. I think, you know, Jamie kind of thinks at first, like, who, you know, who gave Cersei the idea to put this guy in charge? But... You know, he kind of lists out a lot of reasons why he's probably the right guy for the job, at least for now. You know, he doesn't have ties to the Riverlands. You know, he doesn't really have people to pay back. You know, he's, you know, just, but, you know, not, he's not going to, you know, he talks about still, you know, making sure that the Bloody Mummers are, you know, would be punished for their crimes. Um, But just that's that's all i can do for him he just sucks otherwise he's so yeah. mean to poor pia i just hate that that's the biggest yeah. thing that bugs me yeah. take her yes. with you, just, you know, because she's, she's gonna, gonna tempt my people everywhere yeah. i'm like oh i feel like so i feel like he's one of those guys who like at the at the minutia level is really bad but if you can just keep him at the upper level he's pretty good Remember that the last thing he says to Jamie is uh, uh, about restoring the, the Riverlands. He says, once that is done, and he's talking about uh, removing the outlaws, once that is done, the seven will guide the good folk back to their villages to plow and plant and build anew. He doesn't even call them small folk. He calls them good folk. I feel I feel like he's got like the right ideas for the end result. Mm-hmm. But if you're counting on him to deliver it himself, he's gonna fail because yeah. he's gonna judge well, every single human interaction poorly mm-hmm. and right. screw it up. Yeah. yeah, I'd like to see what he can do. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, and I I don't know if anyone else picked up on this, but when he's you know Jamie's kind of pointing out you know every single person who's held this castle you know has had basically <laughs> evil befall them. And he yep. says, well, they, they weren't godly men. And he lists, you know, all these people nearby that can help him that are also gar- godly men. He starts with Lancel, which, you know, okay, sure, whatever. Um, but he includes Randall Tarly in that list. Like, instant, instant no. Woof. Like, <laughs> no, dude, just incorrect. <sighs> just... I, I think I think that's the difference between the way we see Randall Tarly and the way the rest of, yeah. you know the military leaders see Randall Tarly. Yeah. And yeah, instant no from us. But to him he's like, oh yeah, you can bring a bunch of troops and kick ass. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, there's a there's there's something there's a distinction to be made between the right guy, like a good dude, and just the right guy for the job. Mm-hmm. You know? And to Lindsay's point, Bonifer might just be the right guy for the job. Even if he's not the right guy. Yeah. It's like when you watch those movies. I can't think of any examples right now where the good guys end up teaming up with a bad guy because the bad guy can 
has some set of skills that will help them complete the mission. I'm trying to think. There's tons of movies how, like that, and I can't about, think of any of them X-Men, right now. X-Men, the animated series, season one. Oh, Ooh. yeah. Whenever the oh. X-Men like team up with Magneto or something. Yes. X-Men, the animated yeah. series, season one. Right. They fight the Sentinel factory in Master Mold, and Magneto, of course, can manipulate metal and rip right. them to shreds. Of course, that unit of Sentinels, many of them are made of plastics and not metals. So the rest of the X-Men have a lot of work to do, but it still helps. Nerd alert. Wow, I'm a nerd. Yeah, no. <laughs> Woo! <laughs> hey, guys, I go was watch thinking X-Men like... the Animated Series. <laughs> the, really the best good. I could do, I didn't do... I, I failed you even... You did way better than I did. I was thinking of, like, Terry Benedict in Ocean's 13 when they team up with him, you know? But, I don't know. Something Is that, like that Al Pacino? No, uh, Andy Garcia. Oh, What's Andy Garcia. Name? Garcia, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Been a while, man. Yeah. Ocean's Eleven is pretty much the only one I watch. Same. Ocean's Twelve was not great. Ocean's Thirteen is pretty good. Ocean's Eleven is fantastic. Right. I can't say much about the other ones. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Ocean's Eleven is key. Is fantastic. You gotta watch Ocean's Twelve to get to Ocean's Thirteen, and Ocean's Thirteen's pretty good. So okay, yeah, good, good advice. Interesting. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, any other things to bring up with this chapter? It's kind of kind of goes along with this, although it kind of might send us down a little bit of a different rabbit hole. But you know Love the whole it. the whole plan. Um, for John Con to just kind of disappear inconspicuously, um, you know, not die gloriously in battle or anything like that, you know, that that worked. You know, Jamie kind of just thinks, okay, you know, he yeah. Ares made him hand, he lost the Battle of the Bells, he cut off the hand, and then he went off and drank himself to death in exile. And, and uh, right, yep. and they you know talk about that how you know we can't have you going off and dying gloriously in battle because people will remember that and talk about it. You know, we need you to kind of disappear. So I thought that that was, that kind of stuck out to me reading it. Yeah. Yeah. And for more on that, go check out our uh, episode 113 with blood writer Lizzie, Mm -hmm. where we talk about John Connor thing in her chapter. Yeah. Yeah. I talked about it with uh, radio Westeros a few months back. That's true. Also. Yes. That episode as well. Yeah. yeah, good point. It's like, check, that one worked. Good job. Mm-hmm. And something well, that I, I think... probably never would have... Oh, sorry, I was going to say something. I've Had I read this book, you know, before reading Dance, the way that it was, you know, released, I never would have... Structured. Would have just gotten right over my head, and I probably wouldn't have even remembered who that was, whereas now, you know, oh. after having read both of them, um, you know, that, that definitely sticks out. Yeah. Yeah, it's a it's a tricky thing that that read with those two books. Yeah. yeah, I'm interested now. I haven't so I haven't read um, Dance by itself because I, you know, just did the kind of combined reread and then I read Feast and then had every intention of kind of starting a dance reread and then COVID happened and so I've been mm-hmm. you know kind of behind on that, but. I'm excited to, to kind of reread that by itself and see how that compares to to Feast. Because definitely after I finished my first full read of the books, I would say Feast was far and away my least favorite book. Um, 
and then now mm-hmm. after rereading kind of everything separately it's definitely definitely higher up there so yeah there there are people yeah. uh beef the beefish the legendary beefish included that think that the dance is the best book out there yeah and um it, there's there's an argument to be made for sure i think mm-hmm. I, I still think my favorite is clash but um you know there's an argument for all of them depending on what you're there for mm-hmm. yeah all right well shall we sign off I just want to say real quick though that Red Rana is an idiot. He had yeah. Tarth, man. Yeah. He had Tarth in his back pocket. What an idiot! I'm, I'm gonna, I'm gonna devil's advocate, man. In this life, what is Tarth against happiness? If he's not gonna be happy with yeah. the end, then should he do it? What is it like for his family or for future generations or what? Like I don't know. Yeah. I don't, I mean, clearly he's shallow. I'm not defending the dude like his, uh, you know, his predilections or his values. But like, if you're not going to be happy, then should you make that choice? Well, that's a question that doesn't often get asked in Westeros. Yeah, that's usually no. not. Um, that's true. In, that's... in regards to marriage. Yeah. His choice was the Isle of Tarth. With all its riches, and it's a pretty well-off isle with rich in resources, or or, or basically being, or basically being a landed knight. Yeah. Uh, when it comes down to it, yeah. and by Westerosi standards, uh, you did not make a great deal, Red Ron at Connington. <laughs> you make a good point about the happiness factor, though, Skid. I mean, I just I don't want to oversell it. I don't. I mean, I don't want to defend the guy. He sucks, but. You know, if somebody presented me with a marriage that made me unhappy, regardless of how much monetary value it got me, I'd be like, well, I'm not going to be happy here. That's not what I'm, you know, I got one life to live here. Um, the good soap, by the way, I watched that soap growing up with my, my <laughs> sister. One life to live. You, you handle, you would, you would handle it Go much Vicky. better than Red Ronnet did uh, in terms of just completely putting Brienne down and dehumanizing sure, her. Sure, of and, course. Yeah. There's better ways to do it than he did. Of course. Yeah. yeah. I'm just saying, like... He's just awful. Yeah. Yeah. For her sake, for her sake, I'm glad it didn't work out. I think oh, any, any yeah. of Good the matches that, you know, Selwyn may have made for her, you know, probably... I think she would have been miserable, regardless, you know, being similar to to Arya and think you know other characters i think being kind of forced into that traditional lifestyle would have absolutely made her miserable um you know yeah. even more so than maybe she is now but yeah, yeah. i don't, I don't think point. brienne's miserable i think she's i think she's fighting yeah she's figuring herself out yeah she's she's, she's also work, her place. working through a lot of feelings about herself and yep. her self-worth and image and yeah. But she's also being more herself than she's ever been. Yeah. Right? And it's like, about her becoming okay with that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's it's about how comfortable she is with the fact that she is being her, herself. Yeah. Her and Jamie are on these great parallel paths right now that's really fun to... They're not apples to apples, but they're a lot of fun to compare and analyze and look at. Yeah. For sure. Yes. Agreed. Okay, I'm done. I'm tired. <laughs> All right, bed. let's move. Let's move to the sign off. <laughs> Every one of us gets a little sign off here to 
to give a, a last outgoing message. Yeah. Uh, Matt, would you like to lead us off? Yeah, you know, this is Matt signing off, just reminding you that uh, whenever you're you're about to meet someone famous, like say an Adam Foot, always, <laughs> always a great fallback to make yourself look good is to spit on your hands, rub them together, and then rub it on your cheeks. Instant exfoliant, instant uh, freshen upper. Uh, highly recommend. And if they've read a song of ice and fire, instant shit mouth impression. Right. Which is a great conversation starter. It's a great conversation starter. Better, the best you can get. <laughs> Lindsay, you have something for us tonight? So, um, you know, in keeping with you know, my talking about all of my rewatches and such, um, you know, I've, I've got something from one of my favorite characters and then on A Song of Ice and Fire World, which is Leslie Nope. Um, and something that I need to remind myself of pretty much daily, which is we have to remember what's important in life. Friends, waffles, and work. Or waffles, friends, work. But either way, work has to come third. Love. <laughs> That's good advice. Mine is less inspiring, but it revolves around Harrenhal, which we read a lot about today. Elaine, or Sansa, says... Curses are only in songs and stories that seem to amuse him. Has someone made a song about Gregor Clegane dying of a poison spear thrust? Or about the sellsword before him, whose limbs Sir Gregor removed a joint at a time? That one took the castle from Sir Armory Lord, who received it from Lord Tywin. A bear killed one, your dwarf the other. Lady Wentz died as well, I hear. Lostin, Strong's, Haraway's, Strong's. Heron Hall has withered every hand to touch it. Then give it to Lord Frey. And that's my quote. Yes, give please. It Lord Frey. Give it to Lord Frey. Or Bonifer Hasty. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you, everyone, for listening. Thank you, Lindsay, yes. for your dynamite contributions and your summary, which you wrote, uh, which was fantastic. <laughs> Huge props. Yes, oh. this was an absolute pleasure, Lindsay. Thank you for joining us. Yeah, you're welcome. Good night, everyone. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. Good night, everyone. Good night, everybody. Good night. Matt, I don't know whether it was just summer or something else, but I feel like I didn't quite, I wasn't quite as well prepared with the document before recording as usual. How do you feel about what we got going here? You feel good? Let's roll with it. I mean, Any how prepared are we ever? <laughs> well, see behind our curtain, no, Lindsay. That's, that's the wrong question. I've My been, question I've, is... I've been stressing myself about not being prepared enough. So hearing hearing that makes me feel a little better because I've just been like, huh, I don't know. You're gonna do so good. But... We are we are pretty casual. I would rephrase it though as we are really good at going off the cuff. Yeah, that's that's how you know arrogantly i'll put it <laughs> matt come on cover for me yes we are. we are we are we are yeah okay. yeah i'm um, supposed to let people see behind the curtain oh well a select few we're, we're out of practice we're out of practice from the summer break matt's not used to covering me now for the last couple of months we'll be faxing <laughs> you an, an nda to sign nda yeah okay, okay. Uh, are we sure we can't go with baylor butthole is the title i just 
I feel like we're missing a really good opportunity. I just really feel like we're missing an opportunity here. Yeah. No. Okay. Golden hand the just. I feel like I'll do it if 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 I get nods right now between the two of you to go with Baylor, Baylor butthole, I'll do it. We're not doing Baylor butthole. <laughs> I, I got it's I got zero <sighs> zero of two nods. Oh, that so would be going... so good though, but nope. I think the one you picked is better. Golden hand the just up the Baylor butthole. Got it. Yep. Oh bless. Oh goodness. Golden hand. So, uh, Sir Jamie Lannister of the King. Excuse me. Sir Jamie whoa, Lannister. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Shut your mouth. <laughs> yeah. Shut it. <laughs> it was funny. I was reading my husband the summary and everything, and he was like, Are these, like, all these cuss words okay? He's like, I'm worried about Matt. Are they going are, are, <laughs> to. He doesn't cuss. I don't think you should put that in there. I'm like, they'll we'll split it up. It'll be fine. It'll be fine. <laughs> oh, thanks, Trace. Yeah, I was like, Scat, Scat and I can say the cuss words. It's okay. Welcome back. Hello. To Davos Fingers. I feel Episode 114. I feel like that was almost a Baylor smart. butthole. Scad, you're on mute. Oh, fuck nugget. Bugger me with a spear like at my I'm, Baylor butthole. I feel like I'm not actually on mute, and I feel like you'll hear this when you listen to my recording. Okay, you know that I'm the not joke's done, Skid. Yep. Just do it. <laughs> there it is. <laughs> what? <laughs> what? Hello. Was I muted? Yeah, you were muted this whole time. Oh, sorry, yeah. I couldn't hear you. Yeah. No, that's just a furthering of the joke. I totally heard you. Oh. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yep. <laughs> All right. Uh, All right. We feeling good about this uh, last third? Good enough. Let's do it. Yeah. Okay. <laughs>